0: My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit.
1: Christmas high drinks. I, I I want to share with you some of the films I watched because I have certain films on rotation, and so this year, for example, I didn't watch Die Hard or Gremlins. And it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision. It just it it felt it would have been shoehorned in, like oh we've got to watch it, where there were other things that were more appealing. So we so, so yeah, sometimes you don't, and that's fine. We did well. I'll tell you what we did do. At the very end of November, as I told you before, we watched Moonstruck, um, which turned out to be set at Christmas. And it was sort of right at the end of November, eased us in. And then we watched the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas holiday special, which was lovely. Yeah, and I wanted to watch brilliant. that. Yeah, It wasn't it heartwarming and yeah, lovely and funny. And good old bacon.
0: It was really nice. Like when he was walking around and seeing what they'd done, I got little shivers. It was nice.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, it was all brilliant. I like it. I like it very much. In fact, at the beginning, when um, they're doing the funny song, and it's Peter's uh, reaction when he says, um, when the singer's like, uh, Mrs. Claus works the pole. And in anything I ever write for anything, especially Shoulders of Giants, if it's ever something like, he reacts or she reacts. What I'm seeing in my mind whenever I write that is Chris Pratt reacting to the Mrs. Claus works the poll. That's exact. That's how he he nailed it. So um, so there you go. So I really really liked that. Um, and again, good old bacon. Um, we also watched, and I know this isn't Christmassy, but we watched with Nell and I, and it felt like a kind of a you know an event film, for you know, and so it's like yeah, this. Christmas season on Channel 4 with Nell and I, that sort of thing. We watched the 1947 Miracle on 34th Street, which was great. I was thinking we would re-watch the 94, but it, we never just we never got around to it, and I, I'm not crying about it. The 47 one was lovely. I'd never seen it before. Wow. Um, and we did Frozen, which works, Christmassy, and that was nice and magical. It's in no way Christmassy, but we watched Midnight Mass over seven consecutive nights, and because it was mixed in with all these other Christmas things, it's such a good show, and it worked, and so I'm counting it. I, mean, I In my mind, it was part of the build-up to Christmas. And we also saw Home Alone, a very Murray Christmas, which we didn't see last year, so that was back in rotation. That's the Sofia Coppola, Bill Murray, sort of Crosby. Bing Crosby, ding Dog. oh, it's David Bowie type thing. We saw Claus, or Klaus, uh, which was recommended by my friend Bex, which was very good. Animation, sort of like Santa Claus beginnings, that sort of thing. Um, Scrooged um, came into rotation this year, which of course was wonderful. Trading Places, A Christmas Story, Love Actually, um, Christmas Eve, Love Actually, of course. A Christmas Story, Christmas which is the sequel to A Christmas Story, which came out this Christmas, saw that, and, you know, good, yeah, yeah. Not embarrassing, not, you know, yeah, wonderful. One of those nice sequels that comes along like 40 odd years later, and was like, great. Um, we saw what I call the Trilogy of Joy, which is the three cartoons, the Garfield Christmas special, which of course you and I have a special affinity with, and the original Grinch, Stillefersteen in Christmas, and also the Charlie Brown Christmas. And those three, which were about 20 minutes each, you can knock out in about an hour. And it's, it's, it's like mainlining pure Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. We kept that to the inner ball of the Christmas experience. I think we did it on Christmas Eve. Um, so that's pretty pure. And I love all of those equally. Well, actually, yeah, no, I do. Um, we also, of course, Christmas Day, did the Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, and that night we, we watched, on, um, just get off all the nice feelings that we've been having. We watched Violent Night. Have you heard of that one, Jimmy?
0: Yeah, yeah the new one with Stranger Things Guy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Yes, <good. laughs> don't
1: harbour a grudge. Any ship in a harbour. In any case, yes, and that was good, clean fun. I enjoyed it. Leguizamo is the baddie. You know, I was in exactly the right mood for it. And, you know, it was Christmas night. So it, it was a four experience. It's probably a three film. But it was definitely a poor experience. Did you see that?
0: Not yet. No, I want to. I have to say it's yeah. next year now. Maybe. I don't know.
1: Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, but, but nonetheless, we did it right at the epicentre of Christmas. It wasn't planned, but it was like, let's do fucking right that. Boxing Day and Beyond, it was that sort of, you know, post-Christmas, anything goes ITV, three o'clock. So we watched Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe cartoon from the late 70s, which was one of those ones as a child. I watched as much, if not more, than the original Star Wars. So that's pretty cool. Did you ever see that cartoon version? Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely, And I think Mm. it's come up on this pod a couple of times.
1: It must Must have done. It's a big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's good. When was the last time? 20 years? Oh,
0: more. it It was done at school, I think. Because I think oh, wow. out on one of the old science, you know, well, TV, it's, video. <laughs>
1: it's solid. It's solid. Uh, good stuff. Um, so that's nice. Also, Clash of the Titans, which is brilliant, of course, and that's got Calabos value, so that's nice. Um, aliens, we saw just randomly. In the last, <clears throat> I don't know, 15 years or so, I've never just watched Aliens. It, it's always Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, and I always do it as a trilogy. Kind of like just watching Empire Strikes Back or Back to the Future 2, which is apt. Um it, it doesn't I don't do it, but I did it as a child, but I it's always a part of the trilogy. But just randomly they're like boxing day night on ITV, Shugoni Weavers at it again, aliens. So it worked really well. So we watched Aliens. By the way, I was I know I sent you a couple of these. I went on YouTube and was watching some like adverts from like 1982, 1985, 89, 91 of like Christmas adverts, the stuff that you delete and pause the video for. And the irony was not lost on me that I was watching, seeking out and watching the specific things. And sometimes you would get what, you, if the adverts were from, you'd get like the little, you know, poster from the advert break. And one of them is The Empire Strikes Back. And it's like Christmas 88, because it's advertising sales for, you know, come to b and January. 1989 so it's christmas anyhow and it's showing all this really cool stuff and it's in between empire strikes back so you know and it's lwt i specifically sought out so you know it's the advert break that i was i did pause through on my version and i, in it, I just i completed the circle and the master became the student or something so that was amazing and the adverts were fantastic we also Uh, watched Salem's Lot that I'd never seen before and I know that's not very Christmassy really but it's Stephen King and it I wanted to i read the book years and years ago I'd never seen this original version from the late 70s with um it's good stuff so it also because it, it it reminded me um of when I was watching Midnight Mass I was like oh this has real Salem Lot vibes and it made me want to watch the original so that's nice. We also did the Clerks trilogy because Clerks Three has just come out, and um, so I thought it would be nice that so we did over like three nights, uh, one, two, and three. I don't know. Have you seen Clerks? Any
0: I of the Clerks? clerks. I haven't seen Clerks Two yet. No. So uh, a yeah, nice man. Okay, worth the worth the revisit of Clerks. But I, I mean, haven't I seen guess that so. uni though. Clerks to be.
1: I would. Clerks. I would never recommend most Kevin Smith films to people because, they're again, they're pretty specific. And I guess by that I mean they're pretty hit and miss, and and specific and hit and miss. So, yeah. Uh, but, but I have a special, I have a soft spot for Kevin Smith because I've been listening to his various podcasts for, like, over 10 years now. So I feel like I do know him as well as you can know someone without ever meeting them in, in a certain regard. You know, it's all a facade of some description, but still. Um, So that's that's nice. So watching Clerks 3 and seeing people who I know are his childhood friends in the background, not knowing what's going on. is like satisfying. Yeah. Whether or not it's a great film. I'll tell you, actually, the pre-credit sequence of Clerks 3, like the first four or five minutes, is the best probably Kevin Smith moment in any Kevin Smith film ever. Just because it's so epic and lovely. And I know. And it's this nice song. And it ends with just Clerk 3 coming up, you know, white on black, with <clears throat> quite subtly. But I love that shit. So, um, so that's become my favorite Kevin Smith moment. If you've never seen Red State, I do recommend that. Uh, and no I also recommend like really. Oh. No, that's that's something else. Um, I think yeah, Red Reds. There's the one with Warren Beatty, and there's the one with Bruce Willis. So one of them is Reds, and one of them is Red. <laughs> But Red State is neither of those. It's Kevin Smith film from about 2011, and it's got John Goodman and Kevin Pollock and um, various other people, Stephen Root, and uh, kids who you may or may not have seen in other things, like teenagers, and Michael Parks. And it's um, not what you expect from a Kevin Smith film. And I don't want to say too much, don't watch the trailer, jump in. It's I really like it.
0: Okay, man, cool.
1: And if you like that, watch Tusk, which is, again, I'm not going to say nothing. Don't even anything. But if you like Red State, watch Tusk. Something else totally different from Kevin Smith.
0: Writing them both down, Sheppy. I
1: do I'm... recommend alcohol for Tusk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, love it. So
1: good stuff. So <laughs> I don't know. Did you, any noticeable shout outs? Did you see anything of note that you yeah, enjoyed over the... Christmas
0: we watched Glass Glass Onion with conditions being perfect, and yeah. uh, and thoroughly enjoyed that. And I'll say no more until you've seen that. And then I think the um, the little surprise we had was we we did a, an experiment. Shep would be proud of. It was me, Jim, <clears> um, <throat> where we ended up on Christmas Day night. I think we watched Matilda the musical.
1: Oh, it! Came out nice. on
0: Netflix, and we sat down and watched that. And then and all really enjoyed it actually to be honest. So it was pretty good. And then you know, realized the next day none of us had ever seen the Danny DeVito original. So and there's your miracle on 34th Street 94 connection with Myra Wilson, right? But but we then basically did the original Matilda, which in the end probably was a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh because we probably couldn't quite appreciate it as much because there were there were similar beats and not similar beats and In some ways, it compares more favourably; in others, not so favourably. But it was an interesting experiment to do it so hot off the press the following night, you know. But um, but yeah, so we watched two Matildas. Nice. Um, both both with their merits. Uh, Those those are the big hits for me, Sheppy. We um. You know, when you got the in-laws over, it's a bit tricky to kind of uh, watch watch heaps of stuff. But, but sure. yeah, no, it was
1: pretty. That sounds lovely.
0: Yeah, man, it was, a, it was a good one. And oh, we watched it's a Wonderful Life, which she hadn't seen before, so oh. that was nice. So, um, did it go over well? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, That's I love right. that movie. It was wonderful. It's, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a cockle warmer, and no mistake. <laughs> I, I have basically seen the movie this year because, in most Christmas movies, someone at some point is watching It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: um, so I've, I've seen most of it this year. And also, actually, by total coincidence, we watched Cheers last night and it was a Christmas episode. Um, and, oh, wow. and they're watching It's a Wonderful Life in that. So, yeah, perfect.
0: I meant to say as well, we watched Home Alone as well, which was nice. I yes. had seen that in Yonks and uh, yeah. and that was a treat, Sheppy. I think I texted you lots of obs afterwards. Yes. I'm not remembering now, but but suffice to say, I'm so pleased. John Candy just he just smashes it in about three scenes is all he gets. But God he's really good and unforgettable yeah. in the role. And yeah, it was really it was it was a treat to revisit that, to be fair. I really had so many lovely John Hughes touches that I just I really appreciate it. And, uh, and sometimes I really appreciate so much. Like, I think it's probably really crystallizing me now, for me now, with John Hughes, where when a character remembers something, John Hughes basically <laughs> does get the actor to come in and do a different line read for the memory, yeah. just show you the memory. Yeah. It's really cool. I really like that. And that Kevin, you're such awesome. a disease. Yeah, so good. And it makes me think of John Candy doing funny things. Like, he would just... the you know, <laughs> would I always come back to when Steve Martin first sees John Candy in the cab? But in his memory, John Candy does this little jump. Like, you know, he'd
1: yeah. <laughs> 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 be really happy. Um, yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, that's great. I wonder, in the case of the John Candy jump, was that a different, you know, like a B-roll that they decided not to use at the time? or was it filmed deliberately like the Home Alone memory insults, where they're obviously doing it in a, you know, with a fisheye lens and shit? Yeah. Amazing. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And Uncle Frank. Is it Uncle Frank?
0: Yes, Uncle Frank. God, another character who, out of, like, five lines, gets so much done and so much yeah. across. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, I'm want to see Hamloid, too, just to see Warwick or Frank. I'm sure he comes back. I can't remember. Yes,
1: yes, everyone comes back. The gang's all here. We didn't do it. Um, we Again, it was one that was in the sort of the mix, but it just naturally never... And, you know, there's a time limit. And, you know, ultimately, you can only have so much. And then it's like, OK. So, but next year, baby, maybe, maybe. We'll see. But that's nice. Nice. In the meantime, Jimmy, this is lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. But... <laughs> how about we uh we, we, we turn the gears on this sucker i don't know
0: why, why not Sheppy. why not i'm going to take that as my prompt to say a big fat uh welcome <laughs> to the shoulders of child. Wow, i'm jimmy i
1: i did not know where that was going i literally <laughs> that could have gone anywhere um hello i'm Sheppy.
0: and Sheppy, might well actually before I, was, I should have continued wow. my sentence and gone off on one. You could pull me back. But um, <laughs> let me just say, with a WhatsApp podcast for uh, movie sequels and prequels and, you know, celebration of existing IP, Shappy, where we spit off and do
1: <laughs> whatever we want to do. Well, Callie agrees with you, <laughs> certainly. Yes, absolutely. The world is our oyster, Jimmy, and um, I'm very excited to be here. We have, I mean, are we going to include any of that? self-indulgent diatribe, which let's face it, that's never stopped us before, but of the uh, of the What Films I Watched essay, uh, addressed to class um, at the beginning of a New Term, then, then I will say it has sort of set this uh, episode in stone a little bit in terms of date and time locking it. So with that in mind, I will say, pleasure to be here. Pleasure to, to see you, Jimmy, and uh, to be having a conversation about a very special film, a special to you and I, I believe, and also to a lot of people, very popular film. Uh, what are we here to discuss today, Jim Bob?
0: This week, Sheppy, you've sent us back to the future. <laughs> Good stuff. But, uh, yeah, thanks, man. I will. I will say as well. What's interesting. One of the things I love about Bat's Future is they really lean into and timestamp their movies without apology. It doesn't <laughs> matter that we've overtaken hoverboard time now and we're not there yeah. yet. So, I mean, no one cares. Like you know. So I think we can very happily say Happy New Year, Happy 2023 to the people. There you there,
1: go, and not a hoverboard inside. <laughs> no. Yours 19, you're having a laugh. Um, I wish. Um, so with that in mind, uh, yes, Back to the Future doesn't give a fuck. Uh, I like it. I like the fact that in 89, when Back to the Future two came out, to my little mind and perhaps to yours as well, it did, you know, 2015 seemed such a, a, a gulf oh. away, just like 2000, it's like Star Trek time, like that might as well be the 23rd century. So it's like, all right, and then it's like, there it goes, pow, any difference? Well, we've got the internet, so that's that's something, no Jaws 19, no other uh, but that's nice. Um, no weird cafe 80s, but I wouldn't mind, it's not impossible. I would like, well, look, before we get into what I would like to have from 2015's Back to the Future 2... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can certainly work our way through the trilogy quickly and talk about that, because it is a part of it. And of course, today, we are doing Back to the Future, which I said, and I think it's a biggie. At the time, Back to the Future 3 came out and everyone was well up for a 4, but Zemeckis and everyone were like, it says the end, that is it, I'm out. And it's like, fine. Um, but there was a lot of like, ooh, what would a number 4 be? And I believe there was a cartoon show in the uh, 90s um, very similar to the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures show, where it's a sequel. It is Back to the Future oh, Four, wow, and it's wow. um, the, the family with Marty presumably having adventures. Um, but fuck that! So yeah,
0: I, I never watched any it here, any It was a bit
1: past my time you know, in just terms in of that. You know, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. I'm very interested, um, indeed. I will say, maybe it's a bit early, but it's a bit of a spoiler. My main premise that I originally. Came up with, which was like, this is what the film is. It's basically at this point a montage in the very center of the film because all of this other stuff sort of like whoop, came out of it. And so now it's, yeah, so it's all over the place.
0: I can't wait to so be accepted. Steppy. I know I speak for the entire listenership, but in 20 minutes' time it's going to be huge. But anyway, so, um... let's.
1: <laughs> well, please, no, no, don't. You'll make me gawp. Um But I will say, I'm very excited, and Back to the Future, the first one, just for the moment, focusing on that, came in coming out 1985. We were wee nippers. It was pre-us, as it were. Mm. We didn't know each other yet. Um, happy days. So, with that in mind. Um, what were your memories? Do you remember going to the cinema? Well, I do,
0: Sheppy. I think he gets a second name check because I think I watched it with that American fellow, Pendleton Peary. Oh, on his birthday. I love that guy. Uh, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think... uh, But yeah. He, Pendleton uh...
1: Peary Investigates was my favorite children's ITV show oh, in 1927. By the
0: way. It's an amazing title for a kid's show um yeah we watched it for his birthday and it absolutely knocked my socks off i i just loved it and i i think um it's one of the most if not the most formative movies of my childhood Sheppy, i would say like i just absolutely wanted to wear a body warmer over my uh denim jacket so to speak to be michael j fox he was the coolest kid in the block and just that was the only sticker. A lot of skateboards
1: came out that year. <laughs> A lot, uh, of very, lot of little tykes spooking around. <laughs> I
0: was reflecting on it, Shabby. I think it's the only sticker album, the only Panini I ever completed, which says something. Wow. I think that uh, does say
1: something. Good for I, you. I <laughs> never completed one of those, not even the Return to Oz.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I think I knew it off by heart pretty quick because it came out on vid. And then uh,
1: Did you buy it? Did you have it bought yeah, on yeah. Fit? I, I did. Yeah.
0: I remember very viscerally, like it had the Back to the Future poster, but then it had this sort of generic diagonal line thing going on mm. behind the poster. Yes. You know what I mean? On, I had on that on my Commando. Couple. Yeah. On my
1: fabled eleventh birthday present, Commando. <laughs> I had exactly. <laughs> the
0: the, I think it was Commando. <laughs> ba
1: Classics. Ba, 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 ba. So, yeah. Yeah, fair play. Good for you. I'm yeah, sure I, I, you and I watched that. And you oh, certainly, I'm sure, watched that a billion, trillion times.
0: I'd say so. It would be impossible to tell you how many times I've seen Better to the Future. Impossible.
1: Did you watch that with um, like, Vicky, for example, as well? Was she into it or was it a yeah, I, solitary Jimmy?
0: No, I'm sure she did. I'm sure the whole family gathered for a bit of BTTF, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I think... The, i mean i really want to hear about your firsties as well but just on the first movie it culminated with me then we went to a secret cinema g and i about god eight years ago or something and i think i might i think i've seen it since then to be fair as well but we, we went to the secret cinema and they set up a hill valley and it was bloody amazing Shep. you wonderful. could go into and we dressed up you know 50s style i had the I think i've up. seen the photos and, and it was pretty
1: sensational
0: it was cool and did not prep for the evening when it got super cold. And we were still had our little rolled up sleeve shirts and it got a bit chilly. But um, but it was an amazing secret cinema. And you could go into the Hill Valley School and they had lockers and all this with like, you know, George Hart Lorraine or one of them, whatever they had, the a replica Hill Valley dance, with professional dancers, you know, swinging themselves around. and like It was really very cool. Um,
1: That's yeah, lovely. They
0: went for it. What were you
1: wearing? Again, because I talked over that. like it oh, was just weekend.
0: like a... It's just like a checked shirt tucked into the old jeans with the old, you know, sleeves rolled up. You know,
1: <laughs> pure Marty uh, Calvin Klein <laughs> tripping up Biff in that diner. Well, Amazing, good one. stuff. I can see yeah. it. I can see. I can see you with your hair brilled back. So I'm, <laughs> I'm well up for it. Um, lovely eat. stuff.
0: What's your first firstie with it, Sheppy.
1: My firstie with Back to the Future was. Um, Guildford Cinema, I believe, um, the Odeon. At the top, in fact, it was the Odeon. It's funny, uh, this has been retold by me to my mother many, many times over the years of this. Um, and I, it's linked so so heavily with my first viewing of Back to the Future, I'm gonna totally throw him under a, the bus now because I've been telling people about this for years, psychiatrists, teachers, strangers on the bus, so now I'm gonna tell you. I'm sure you know this story, Jimmy, but Go to the cinema, it's me, I think it's everyone in my family and we're going to see Back to the Future and it's at the top of Gilbert High Street. And my mum says, after the film, we're going to have a McDonald's. I'm like, sweet. So we go in and uh, we're in the foyer, we get the tickets. And she's like, do you want a hot dog? I'm like, yes, of course I want a hot dog. So so I get a hot dog, we go in, I eat the hot dog, we watch the film, fantastic. Come out, I'm like, "Hey, hey, McDonald's. And she's like, no, you had a hot dog. I'm like, unbelievable, that. (laughs) <laughs> that's not good and I remember we we came out and I was like what do you you know this is this is a some trap or and we came out and I remember seeing the uh the, the McDonald's from across the road as we came out of the cinema and I was like my sweet my my begotten love reaching out and never touching and I was taken back to the car <laughs> driven off to the gulag um, back home where I ate a ski yogurt uh, I remember it very clearly so that is my first viewing of back to the future
0: um mm-hmm. You could almost argue that might be very earliest gestation of Shoulders of Giants in some ways because, like, I don't think I've left a cinema more excited at the possibility of a sequel than Back to the Future, and you didn't get to have that feeling when you were a young man (laughs) because you
1: (laughs) now you're making up for it. (laughs) I'll tell you this: there was a blissful few minutes. Between watching the end of the film and having my soul crushed forever, so in those <laughs> let's say optimistically four minutes, I like, can't imagine you would have sat with Hughie Lewis or, or anything. But as we as we filed out, maybe someone went for a wee. So I had I had a few minutes of this feeling. So I can have recall, uh, despite after that my life was never the same and my innocence was lost. But yes. Now, when you watched it, did it say to be continued? Because apparently that was put in later and it's a real episode four wannabe. But I have a memory of, in the cinema, it's saying to be continued when the drawing goes in. I don't know if it's a false memory or not, but I, I have a memory of that happening. And I remember being like, fucking nice one. That, but... At that point, I'd already been burnt by Flash Gordon. So even at that young innocent age, I was savvy as fuck. I was like, well, let's not get your hopes up. Let's see how the box office does first. (laughs) So I was uh, I all
0: right. We need a a 10% margin, at least, on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, I don't know how much Jay Fox asked for up front. I hear Stoltz was a real (laughs) ball buster. So... So we'll see. I guess I was said <laughs> And
0: you'll probably sit there going, no more sugar for that man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like, you've um, talked yourself out of a Big Mac, I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> but yeah. So I
1: remember, I remember really enjoying the film. I don't remember specifically actually watching it, but I remember the To Be Continued. But I certainly remember the, the DeLorean flying into the camera and being like, yay. And I remember really enjoying it. And I remember going home, eating my yoghurt and leaning on the counter um, in, in my kitchen with the red top and leaning back being Marty because like you, I wanted to be Marty. I did get a little weird, really shitty, yellow, banana-looking skateboard and I fell off a few times and that was about it. Like, like a diary, you sort of get halfway through January and give up. It was, you know, this, the skateboard was you know, discarded pretty quickish. <laughs> I went back to my rally. But nonetheless, um, I, I did love a bit of Jay Fox and it didn't stop me from hanging onto the back of cars, but it was, it was a bumpy ride. <laughs> so so with, with that in mind, yes, and I didn't own it on video like you, but I did tape it off BBC One, I guess, and I watched it, I did see it, I rented it. It was probably played at everyone's birthday. It was, i was sure it was shown at school. I remember on a holiday in the Lake District, it was showing, and I, and I went and watched it then. So, you know, so it never went away. So so that was a lovely Back to the Future experience. And I had the poster. And actually, I'll say this. There was talk, and I don't know if it was playground talk and if it could be, like, trusted or not, but I do remember there was talk of a sequel and someone said it's going to be called Into the Future and it's mm-hmm. going to be them rescuing Marty's kids in the future. And, um, and I was like, wow, that's great. Do you remember... Anything like that yourself? Yeah,
0: into the future point, I remember for sure, shepard Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, but I, nothing like. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't remember like it, the, it's speculation wise, not not super. I just remember being super duper excited about
1: yeah
0: the two. And I think you and I. Saw I remember. One. Did
1: we? Yes, yes. Well, before we get to that, yeah, I remember renting Fletch Lives um, and watching that at home. Probably with you, and we, and there was the trailer for Back to the Future 2 at the beginning. And I think it was—I don't know—that's the only time I remember seeing the, the trailer. But maybe we saw it in the cinema as well. But it's all black, and you hear Marty saying, are we back?" And then the the plane flies over, and everyone jumps, and says, we're back. And then "We're back" comes up on the screen in the Back to the Future shiny, chromey writing. With, um, with the black and the Huey Lewis kicks in, and stuff, or, or the Back to the Future music kicks in. Dan, 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 or something, kicks in. And then, or bam, makes more sense. And then it was the trailer, and it was just like, look what happened to your son, and all of that. Um, so it's like, mom, that mom, is that so you? Long- so I remember that. And I remember being like punching the air and gibbering about on the floor and being quite happy about it.
0: I mean, I love that is stunning. I meant to say, I, I should just say quickly for Back to the Future for me, Shep, it's one of those films that still remains a five star, right? I mean, it's just yeah. an absolute banger. What a movie. Yeah. And we've talked about perfect music, movies a few times on this pod, haven't we? I mean... For me, I think it's perfect. I I accept it's not perfect. But for me, it's perfect. And one of the things I really love about it is it just has a slightly harder edge to it than the other two movies as well. Yeah. And, particularly in the eighties bits, which I pull on on my pitch, by the way, but we've got no. but, um, but yeah, so um, Very nice yeah. But um, I, just, I agree with that, you. Right?
1: Everything is a bit more polished. Everyone in number two, like Trey Fox and everyone, but Trey Fox especially, it's like in, a, in season two of Friends or in most sitcoms or TV shows, season two everyone looks a bit more Hollywood and a bit more healthy and tanned and toned and their skin is really good and their hair is really, really good and it's like, okay, so there's a specific look that I really identify with number two, with everyone and the whole aesthetic and, and, and their look very much, I really like it, but it there is a rawness to to the first one. Absolutely right. There isn't a, a sort of a a comfortable gloss which there is in the second.
0: one. Yeah. And Everyone yeah. is just out of the park, amazing, aren't they? In the first yeah. one, in their characters and stuff. I love it. I, one, it's perfect. One thing I really wanted to say to Shep as well was like, on that first one, like just. The line readings from everyone are just so lovely. The decisions they make would just seem to be just really amazing. Like, and I yeah. just wrote down here because I wanted to remember to say it was just, it was just hidden pathos where most people wouldn't find it. Even just Marty saying at the end, like, look me up when you get there. But, you know, just the way that Jay Fox delivers that. I just have always loved it, you know. And it's just really, it's just nice, man. It's really cool. Yeah,
1: it's, and, it's and, not glib. It's it's very heartfelt and emotional.
0: Great, man. It's so lovely. And and then just even one of my little reflections on writing the pitch was, I haven't once written Fox or Lloyd. You know, spoiler alert, they're both in my Yeah. Book. <laughs> um, and like you know, I've gone with the character names because the characters yeah. are indelible, you know, but where sometimes we flip-flop and it's like, you know, Conrad yes. or Mason or whatever, you, yes. know, you end up doing that. But it's just, that you know, this is just Doctor Marty. Those yeah. characters are freaking iconic, you know. And then... yeah,
1: They go deep. They go deep in a lot of people, especially I think of our generation being a certain age in the 80s. Um, yeah, they are a hell of a duo, and that's something I want to mention, which maybe I'll just mention that. Well, no, I want to say actually first um, I really like what, everything you say. I agree with everything you say. And I'll tell you something else. Everyone is brilliant. And Jay Fox is brilliant. Lloyd is, of course, brilliant. Um, everyone. Crispin Glover is so good, you know, at the dance. And he does that thing with his arms and he's holding the socks <laughs> on the pants or whatever. And, and it's so good. I love I love his whole thing. He's like a noodle. Um, so that's when he's doing his hair. He's like, oh, oh, God. And when he's older, <laughs> That's all amazing. So Glover Governor is, is so good in that film. And I also want to shout out to Mark McClure, who's Jimmy Olsen, because, you know, he's not very good in anything, but bless him. There he is. So that's nice. Um, and I also, Leah Thompson, brilliant, brilliant, excellent. When I was a kid, I remember not really seeing the old age makeup and just accepting that they look old here and young there. And you know, not being like, "Wow, how's that possible?" or "Nice makeup" or whatever. Just being, you know, I like that. It was all one reality. So that's that's tasty. And of course, Thomas F. Wilson as Biff. He's um he's such a good villain, and he's so well played. Um, and it's it's really it's a it's an absolutely and he's he's almost he's too good because I think it probably hurt his career. He's just always going to be Biff, yeah. um, but he was he's. It, it, uh, absolutely, people always leave him off like best villain lists, including me. I always forget, but he's he's up there. He's a fantastic villain.
0: Yeah, he really is, Shippy, and 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 across the trilogy like that too, right? But yeah, totally. P- particularly one, the nuances of his bit yes. are brilliant, really brilliant.
1: Yeah, and he was bullied in real life, and he was very skinny, and he was he was young, and so he was bullied a lot. And so when he was paired up in auditions, he was paired up with Glover because they had good chemistry. And he really, you know, it was, it was very hard and emotional and cathartic for him to, it was very easy for him to see and become Biff. Because up until a certain age, he was, he was a weedy and then he suddenly shot up and then he was left alone. But, you know, you never forget. So it's like, good for him. And he's, he, apparently he's a very nice person.
0: Oh, nice man.
1: I'd that, love to meet
0: you know him this is a good, Herbie, would sure it's Hopefully. very
1: likely yeah <laughs> but at this point do you want to meet him in like 1993 because he's so sick of back to the future I want to mention though go to YouTube and do the tom from Wilson back to the future song because it's absolutely wonderful um, over the years he was always asked the same questions what's your favorite of the films what's your fa- uh, like what, what's your favorite memory what was it like working with Michael J. Fox, more was it like working with this Brother, all of this. Um, so he had a business card printed out with like the 10 answers <laughs> to all the, the questions. And then he turned it into a song. And it, it's the Thomas Jefferson Back to the Future song, and it's on YouTube. And check it out. There are different versions because he's been doing it for decades. <laughs> and it's really lovely. I'm going to look at so. that
0: after this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe it can go on the website.
0: Absolutely. I was thinking that too as a little surprise.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well, I thought it would be a nice shout out to the website for people. So you can go and check it out there if you like.
0: Nice. Mm. Shoulderspod.com. Listen, is shoulderspod.com. Beautiful. That's,
1: look at us go. We're so pro. <laughs> um, I want to just have a quick think about it, if there's anything else. Um, oh, yeah. Do you remember I had the trilogy on video when I was at uni? and on there was a bonus, and it was the making of the yeah. Back of Back to the Future Scott 3. And, yeah, um, Kurt Cameron.
0: Kurt Cameron, not Scott Thingy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's close, it's close. It's basically the same, <laughs> and I mean that. It is, because Kurt Cameron, he turned into a nutter. Nonetheless, he's kind of like sub-Jay Fox, so he was thrown in there. I showed this to everyone, I was obsessed with this making of them, specifically making of Back to the Future 3, but also with elements of the other two. And Kirk Cameron, he was on the Back to the Future set, uh, 3 set, so it was old old Hill Valley, Western time. And he's there, the Lorian's there, he's dressed a bit like Marty, he's got the hoverboard. There were all these terrible sort of extras, but they're all talking and terrible, like as if you went to a Wild West show in like a sub, sub, sub Disney sort of, oh, they used to Rusty. Type place. Is they're like, hey, mister, what's this funny metal horse? Oh gee, that's a car, sir. It's so bad. <laughs> I I haven't seen it for years. I don't, but I'm sure that's on fucking YouTube as well. Don't put that on the site, it's toxic. But if anyone's up for it, I'm sure you can find it. Um, awful. Tom Wilson, who I was just singing his praises, he's such a Glen. He comes across and he's like, oh, he's trying so desperately to show the world through this making of. That he's he's dressed as mad dog and they're on the set again but he's being and also there's him as himself like talking i don't know a year later or whatever and he's and it's he's trying so hard to be likable and it's really embarrassing he's like hey what's going on over here was this some kind of horse boy really really awkward um, so that was just terrible um, but it's nice, and Zemeckis pops up. Well, not really. it's like a talking head. It's him in his garden or something talking. But he's saying, Oh, yeah, you know, we made this film. And Bob Gale pops up, and he's cool. And he tells the story about being in his attic and finding his old dad's yearbook. And it says something I like class clown. He said, I didn't know my dad was class clown. What would it be like if I went back in time and met him and we were the same age? And then that's how it all started. So that's all very nice. By the way, Strickland is amazing as well. <laughs> Just to throw oh, that out. Okay. Yeah. But that's so so that's something else I wanted to mention. Do you remember you you remember the making of?
0: I do, Sheppy. I don't remember how bad it was, and I don't remember mm. the host name, obviously. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but, <laughs> See, but Scott we,
0: <laughs> But yeah, I, I I do I know you're saying that about Thomas Wilson being a bit cringy. It's making mm. cringe. I have a
1: vague memory of that, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty hard guy oh my god I I was yeah I watched that so many times it was my line which was the wardrobe of my early 20s so so with that in mind um oh back to back to the future for a second I also had the soundtrack or the family had the soundtrack on, on tape so um so that that was a big one so I listened and it's a fantastic soundtrack and we listened to that
0: yeah it's amazing game changer the theme is just. I think the theme was a phone ringtone of mine for about five years. Oh,
1: loved Nice. Yeah, Alan Silvestri being absolutely brilliant. Reusing is from another film he met. He scored the same year, which is Cat Size, and it's it's a different sort of key, but it's the same basic melody. through he he just ripped himself off in the same year. Go Silvestri. And there is a factor and also Huey Lewis and all of that. Um, Tell me dad, where are we going this time? All of that, brilliant. So so that's another indelible part which is all woven in, the, the tape which is blue, or um, had a blue sticker. Um, and also a memory I have is my mum getting off the phone to my grandma and saying oh grandma and grandpa got uh, back to the Future on video and watched it but they didn't understand it and that's, that's just a memory I have of that <laughs> so I, don't know. I don't know what that means they didn't understand it, they missed the bit, they're like what's going on, who are these young people, what, why is he in 1950 I don't know, I don't know if they missed some vital part of the plot or, or not, I don't know why is his hand going funny, what's his obsession with that photo, I don't know, but that's just another memory I have Amazing <laughs> so that's nice. Um, I also just want to say about Back to the Future 2. Yes, you and I saw it together and we dug it, and then we went and saw it again together, I guess a week later. And before we went the second time, I knew we, you could have mentioned this. <laughs> we, we got your tape with the commando lines and we watched the end of the last few minutes, of uh, knowing that the beginning of Back to the Future 2. They, they redid it. So, we yeah, we watched it. Just I believe our shoes were on, and we were in your lounge, and we were standing up watching it on the TV, and then we turned off the TV and walked straight into the car. That's how I remember it. Maybe that's a bit of a to-be-continued want to be. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think we thought we could beat Zemeckis. We, it was as though... We thought some continuity character had not bothered to watch, you know. Put Elizabeth shoe in, you know. <laughs> a, uh, uh, you know, we, we felt there must be a continuity it's error, and we wanted, to find it. <laughs> we wanted to find it. we wanted to
1: find it. I, I, yeah, but yeah, we did. We, we. I don't think we were trying to trip up the At least speaking for myself, I think I was more good natured than that. I was just <laughs> looking to see. How if I could spot any discrepancies just for my just for fun, but not being a yard who sucks to you too type <laughs> to the softy about it, but being kind of just like, oh, but it's it's pretty spot on. You I know, have my own. I, mean, uh,
0: I have my letter already drafted, Sheppy. It was poor to dear Mr. Zemeckis, unaccustomed <laughs> as I am to write letters <laughs> such as these.
1: Scathing, scathing. Poor old Zemeckis.
0: I'd have had October. a hot dog before the movie, I'd have had enough sugar to spot all the bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, I mean I that was such an exciting watch, wasn't it? I think it's it's aged not as well, Bets Future 2 for me for lots of reasons. But at the time, few movies were as exciting or buzzy as that,
1: right? I mean I will say I think it's one of my favourites. I mean, it's in my I don't know if this is a stupid thing to say, but let's say my top eight sequels of all time, just in terms of I do really like it. There are things I don't like about it. I don't like the fact that in this universe, it's a real Russell T. Davis wannabe. If you just if you look identical to how your parents looked, identical it's, it, it, I, I go with it. I accept it. I always. I never questioned it. But these days, I am like that's that. You know, the whole plot is hinged on that. Can't you just? You know, it would have been nice to have like, I don't know. I love of the Future too, but you could have the kids played by actors and and it's some other thing that they do. And theoretically, the whole film could be set in 2015 and they have to do something and and stuff. And that could work. Saying that, um, forgetting about that, I do really like the 2015 stuff. I love all of it, how it looks. I love the hoverboard, even though that continuing thing does get really boring by number three. But I like that whole bit, Jaws 19, all the shit. I love it. Uh, I like Griff. I like, what's Amanda McFly? You got no stroke. Um, I follow her on Instagram. So, what do you think about that? <laughs> Tell you something else that whole bit uh, with the pizza and the family and upside down guy who was in no way Christmas glover that's all solid. But that was always my favorite bit. Um, but, it, but my favorite bit, because it's very much a film of three thirds, that's it, my favorite, but keeps changing. Because the dark 1985, I fucking love. Yeah. Um, that whole thing is brilliant. But then going in to the first film, which I don't think had ever been done before, that's amazing. And reenacting that stuff and doing a real Avengers Endgame wannabe, brilliant. All of that, um, I really like And the ending with the bridge and the tunnel. And again, the hoverboard and Biff and the manure. It's so good. Uh, so So I dig it. And I like... There's only one man who can help me, and then it goes down and cuts to the lightning, and it's the end of the yeah, first yeah. film again. And then it's the same shot, and it's the microsecond after it cuts in the first film to him arriving, and I know without cutting, Martin runs around the corner and goes, Doc, dog!" You're "Oh, uh-huh. I sent you into the future. All of that. I'm back. I'm back. And he goes, "Great Scott!" And he faints, and it pulls back, and you know it's the end, and it's like to be concluded. I love that ending, and it gives me a massive spine of even just thinking about it now. So it's great. So I say Back to the Future 2 for all its little flaws and things. For me personally, it is one of my very famous sequels, actually. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, why not? And it is also, I think, one of the best sequels, because it does something very original.
0: Um, yeah, that's yeah. A very, very fair. Helpful for me, Sheppy, to reappreciate it. Um, yes, I like that, I like that very much also, I suppose that, that Alternate 85 that biff is very trumpy and mm-hmm. uh, has also helped to age even more as a document, if you know what I mean so it's quite yeah. interesting right? and I think um, yeah, yeah, wicked wicked. I remember getting such a thrill out of the you know, him knocking himself out with the door and stuff, you know what I mean yes. part 2, you know, version 2 so yeah, yeah brilliant, it's really happy really happy
1: it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, no, So, I, yeah, I like all of that and the dropping the bag on Billy Zane's head and, and all. Um, yes, I don't, I'm not too keen on the whole life. and I, I, I'm not, Well, this bleeds into number three. I'm not too keen on him being this failed, washed up businessman and and the whole chicken thing kind of get, they hinged too much, about the, the, the crash with the truck. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's I don't like any of that. And that's really more that's set up in number two, but that that's a really a number three thing. And not to be negative because we've been so nice, but number two, I don't. Number three is fantastic and it's very very well made. It's got the whole Western thing. It's great. I really like it. But the bits that I don't like are are very strong. And I and you know I don't like the whole thing that I just mentioned about the chicken and the the truck crash and all of that. And I don't like. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not against the idea of Clara and being this sort of ditz, it's cool, but I, don't, I guess I just don't like Mary Steinberg in it, and I, do, I guess I don't like how she's written, and I don't like the performance, and I don't like the way the relationship happens story-wise, I'm not invested, and all that time with the doc smelling flowers, I'd much rather see him getting up to other stuff. And also in number two as well, and also in three, he's all lamenting about building the time machine regretting about having the time machine and, and all of that. And all I wanna see is Martin the Dot having adventures. And even someone like John McClane, who's having a horrible time in that skyscraper with his fucked up feet, horrible time. It's the adrenaline, it's who he is. He's kind of digging it. And I want my hero to enjoy it on some weird level. And and, I, you know, I don't want to see Han talking about how much he hates the Falcon. I don't want to see the Doctor, like, saying, oh, what's with this TARDIS thing? And I, so I, so I don't like that angle, which is heavily delved into number three. Um, that's bullshit. So I want to see Doc and Marty having adventures, having a good time and whooping it up, even in the dark moments. And spoiler, uh, I, I lean into that. And, I'm very excited
0: um, to hear that. I thought you would. And uh that makes me happy to hear, Sheppi, yeah. Well, so,
1: But, uh, you know, not to totally be horrible at number three, there are lots of things I do like about it, and Zemeckis, of course, knows what he's doing. What are your What are your thoughts?
0: I, I agree with everything you said, Sheps. I think that what was interesting for me is one of the things I love about 2 as well is they do that clever thing on sequels, which I actually really enjoy, which is to sort of lean on similar beats of the original in clever ways, and they sort of, you know, repeat the echoes in different ways you know what i mean but then i think when it comes to three if you try and do all three in a row part three becomes a bit exhausting honestly just do like it's 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 a very it's obviously got its own thing in the west you know and but but the bottom line is it's very similar beats to the first movie and it's a bit exhausting for that in the end you start to really see that and doesn't feel quite as clever, I think. In, in isolation, it's a three star. If watched with the other two, it's a two star.
1: The, does yeah. it go for you for the trilogy five, four, three, or two? You yeah. know, yeah,
0: that's, yeah. It. that's it. Yeah,
1: yeah for sure. I yeah. guess it's five, four, three to me, but
0: yeah, you know. it could be five though, too. The way you were just talking about to part two, I just want to go and re watch it and because it is brilliant. It was, you should special.
1: do it, do done. an alien. Um, do it like cold, if you know what I mean. Don't yeah. do one, two, and certainly don't do one, two, three. But yeah, just do number two. That's probably the best way. Nice. Yeah. It's like doing Die Hard two, because it's not as good as the first one, but by itself, it's it's good. It's good stuff.
0: Nice. Chef, that's was good. Oh, cool. I can't. do um, wait for the picture? I've got to say one
1: more thing before I forget chef. about number three. Just um, you know the end when the kids arrive in the train and the doc is saying this nice speech and you know there's that shot, I guess of the younger kid pointing at his dick. <laughs> um, and it's like, I remember going, I guess to meet you in Angel and being in like the big HMV and they were showing the, that clip on like a 10 second loop. I guess some cheeky employee who watched lots of Kevin <laughs> Smith films and put it on and put it on a loop of that. Maybe it was 30 second loop and then of the kid pointing at his dick. I guess he needs to go to the loo, and he's looking at his mum or whoever is yeah. just off camera. He's saying, but he's set, he's not aware that they're in the middle of a fucking take. This fucking kid. He's not a baby. He's like six or something. Grow up. So anyway, there you go. And they kept it in. So that's something else. They we kept it um, in. There's your continuity
0: people. character. There's your eagle eye who does such a brilliant job of recreating 1980, 1955, and all this, you know, but. Anyway, yes, that is um, unfortunate for into sure. It. I hope you made a big plot point for your part I know, I'm
1: really regretting it. I, <laughs> I, I'm totally, that the pissing pants scene, what a wasted opportunity. Um, <laughs> I'm gutted, absolutely gutted, um, but I like everything. I'm just going to think if there's anything else um, that I, <laughs> I've just written, mentioned the kid pointing at his dick, so mm-hmm. that's all I've done that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm alright, I guess. Um, I suppose we should probably get to it. I'm, I'm sure, as always, I will wake up at three o'clock in the morning, sit bolt upright, and be like, "I should have mentioned that
0: bit." <laughs> <laughs> I hope you say "Great Scott" first before you remember.
1: Thanks. Nice. That's nice. <laughs> mm. Okay, Jimmy. So if you're happy, I'm
0: very um, happy. Let's do we it. We can
1: jump in. As always, well, what, what often happens with me is I come up with a basic idea, and then to sort of get into it, I write the first five minutes of film, more or less, like the first opening bit in quite a bit of detail. So I'm going to try and get through that quite quickly. I thought about just like cutting those bits out, but I'm like, ah, I fucking wrote it. I'll just I'll read it as fast as I can. And also the end for ages, the end was just like it's the Meccas and fast and cool or something like that. Clever and fast and cool or something. And then that was just it. So it was like one line, maybe six words. And then I actually had to write it. And then, so that sort of ballooned out as well. So again, my main concept is that actually quite a very minor part of this film. So that's nice. Nice. Back to the Future, part four, 1995. Now, I'm I'm going to tell you this, Jimmy. It was right up until even yesterday. It was 1993. But then I want to use a song, and the song came out in 95. So (laughs) this film is 95. (laughs) Um, It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. It's starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, with Claudia Wells. You know who that is?
0: Uh, Can you remind me?
1: That's Jennifer. Oh nice, uh, Nice. okay. The other shoe dropped. Yeah, of course. Um, Mark McClure. Now, I'll just, a spoiler, Um, most of these are basically cameos, so I bring back people, but they're they're basically cameos. So Mark McClure, Dave, Tom F. Wilson, James Tolkien, um, who is, is. yes, Uh, Wendy Jo Sperber, who's the sister, uh, just to bring her back, and... Matthew Broderick. Um, so there you go. Um, plus, no, no, I'm not going to say. But that's all right. Oh, by the way, I didn't ask. Should I do like a trailer quote at the beginning, or should I? Just... I
0: debated this, and I, um, I've got one for you, but it's cheat, so I'm not going to do it. But you do if okay. you want to. Like, uh, okay. Oh,
1: when, when, when the moment happens, I'll say hey, that's the okay, trailer. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, but it's pretty obvious. I mean, yeah, well, so we open. <laughs> uh, familiar, familiar title card over the silence, you know, so big chrome, shiny Back to the Future part four. Then uh, white text over black, you know, with the whole Sylvesterie. Um, and it comes one word and then a beat and then the next, a beat and then the next. So it's Thursday, June 11th, 1988, 8.09 a.m. And then we open on a quiet suburban neighborhood in California, not Hill Valley, uh, but it might as well be. Some apartment buildings, very much like Daniel's place in the original Karate Kid, little enclosure, courtyard, upper and lower apartments, tiny swimming pool, uh, nice vibes. And then just outside the entrance to this bit, there's like street and then like houses in a row and a sprinkler starts on a lawn and a paper boy throws a paper from his bike and it sugs on a door, and a jogger jogs down the sidewalk, There's Not a cloud in the sky, and we move in in a nice long Zemeckis shot that turns into a crane shot, move into the courtyard of the apartment complex, and we start on the ground floor, we go over the swimming pool, and then we go up um, slowly towards a particular door on the upper level, and we're moving in slowly, slowly on the door, and during this slow in, we hear in voiceover, we hear Jennifer saying softly, honey, and then a moment, and then less softly, honey, and then louder, Marty, and then a beat, and then whispered, you're late for work. And then right at that moment, we're outside the front door, which is then thrown open, and our manic, half-dressed Marty McFly races out, and at this exact moment, the power of love kicks in. Ah. And Marty races out, when he's, um, and he's moving so fast, he does a pure you know, Michael J. Fox physical body stuff, He's like colliding with the railing to the upper landing and then he bounces off it and down the landing and he hops and wobbles as he flies and careens down the stairs, fighting with his clothes as he goes and some, you know, some solid physical shtick from Fox. Marty bounces off a wall, nearly trips over a flower bed, dances precariously past the edge of the pool. He's hopping, trying to get his second shoe on <laughs> with a bit of toast in his mouth and he almost collides with a neighbor Um, Mrs. Carnapple, who's an older lady walking her little dog, Milligan. And they greet each other. We don't hear because the music's still going on. But Marty's still hopping about. Milligan is yapping and tangling around Marty's legs with his lead. And Mrs. Carnapple finds it almost amusing. And as he dances away further down the edge of the pool and away, Jennifer appears calmly at the apartment door and leans over the upper landing railing and she raises her like hand in a sort of a fist and stands poised for a second, holding, we see a set of keys in a kind of a ready to throw stance. And Marty now at the edge of the courtyard by the gate leading out to the street, he suddenly stops and pats himself down like all panicked and he turns ready to start running back the way he came when he sees Jennifer and she unfreezes and throws the keys down and across he catches them and smiles cheekily up at her and she blows him a kiss which he returns with a sort of a kiss salute and then they smile with love for half a beat and then the spell is broken and panic resets him and Marty legs it and he gets to his car which is um, he gets to his 4 by 4 of course but it's ever so slightly beaten up with love but it's there and, he, and the keys go in and the foot comes down and the gear goes in and the Marty peels off down the curb and speeds off down the street and the music plays uh, as he drives across town and perhaps the credits um, go over the top. And now maybe the next scene is he gets back from work, but there's a, there's a bit that could be cutting room floor, but we see him arrive at work and everything we learn here we could learn you know, later, but he makes it to work where he's playfully chided by his boss and coworkers and they're like, whoa, whoa, look who it is. It's three days late in a role McFly. And he's all like, I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, and then we find out that he's working actually at a, um, like a race car track. He's like working in the pit as like a kind of mechanic and he's doing all this. And the, the pit boss is sort of taking him under his wing. And I was thinking about Marty, like where I wanted to put him. And I thought like a kind of a cool, nice job something specific and a bit you know exciting Mm. I I don't know it's just it's random but I thought he was working in a pit boss uh, as a sort of a pit boss assistant um and the the boss is kind of like you know cigar chomping like hey what time do you call this and you think for a second he might be a brickland ball buster but then he's not and and there's some good humor joshing and he's like, if you want to race so bad, just ask McFly. And McFly sees the cars whizzing by the track. And he's like, oh, well, you know, maybe. And um, but then, you know, or maybe we have a little moment of these, uh, little moment of longing at the fast cars. And he's like, well, maybe I should be out there. Um, so we have some flawless catch up. Um, it's three years since Marty and Jennifer last saw Doc and his family flying off in their time train. So even though this film is made in 1995, it's set in 88. I'm sure everyone looks great. The original Jennifer, by the way, wasn't in the sequels because her mum got very sick and so she couldn't be in the film. So there you go. But I brought her back for this. As much as I love Shu, um,
0: I love their so, relationship already, Sheppy. That was so perfect, that little opener. And it's great. She's got his keys. It's just, it just speaks volumes to yeah. where they're at.
1: I want, I want everyone to be happy, you know? I don't like it when it starts and everyone hates each other when they were happy at the end. And I know that's life, but I don't like it when it's in sequels. If at the beginning of Die Hard 2, they had broken up, John and Holly, I'd be fucking livid, so that's fine. So anyway, we find out they moved out from Hill Valley to broaden their horizons, but then it turns out not by much, because they're still in California. Um, she's studying perhaps journalism at UCLA and he took a gap year that's like turned into three at this point. They are living together all is well. He is still focusing somewhat on his music, but the pinheads have split. Um, Two of the members left and Marty is feeling a little lost in that regard. Um, Jennifer and Marty do want to get married very much and Marty is up for it. Um, But she's the one who's a little bit worried about the time She's, she's a little bit fixated on money. It, maybe it comes across a bit. She's like, we, we don't have enough money, Marty. Of course we don't, we, we're young, we're young, we're still starting out. Like, we, you know, we really need to invest, we need to be, and she's working too much. She's neglecting her studies a bit to start, like just earn more. It's not because they need it. They're scraping by, but they're doing okay. But she's, you know, a little bit, maybe proto-yucky, wannabe. So, um, you know, it's, it's fine. It's not, it's just sort of to that. It's not really a big deal she's still cool um and and plus she mentions that he's never actually asked her to marry him and he sort of gets uncomfortable and hot under the collar and pure jay Fox like would it make a difference and jen's like i don't know you know it just might and they're interrupted and he is however working a job that he really likes and he's around these fast cars and stuff um now, during all of this, when we're finding this out, either at the racetrack or when he's back home with Jennifer, but we find out that there are little differences that he's noticing around town. For example, if he's at the racetrack and they're whizzing the cars around and he says, where's the Pepsi dispenser machine? And it's just some sort of no-name generic cola brand machine instead in the vending machine there. And they're like, oh, look at Mr. High and Mighty. This isn't good enough for you no more. And he's like, no more? What? And it's so, and then he sees like he's driving home, and the, the street names are different. He's like, "Oh," huh. and he gets back, um, and so he's just little, little sort of things like there's a new stop sign uh, and stuff like that. Um, so he's li- he's noticing these little differences about town or whatever, or maybe we find out, out about it when he gets home. In any case, he gets home, and when he gets back from work, he meets Mrs. Carnapple, but her dog is a different breed. And he's like, Oh, what happened to Milligan? And Mrs. Carnifle says to him, why I haven't seen him since we divorced in 79. And Marty, Marty sort of gives her a look, but he's sort of hurrying past her and he's pure Jay Fox like, what? And he, you know, and he goes back and he sort of springs up the stairs and he's like, oh, old lady. And he, he goes into the apartment and Jennifer's home um, and everything and you know, we find out stuff. So she's a bit frazzled um, and, and all of this. And Jennifer, you know, he asks her if, he's, if she's noticed anything a bit different uh, today. And she goes, no, I've been so busy, Marty, who could notice? But, you know, there are probably little difference, differences happening all every day, but people don't usually notice these things. And Marty's like, oh, yeah, well, wait till you see Mrs. Carnaple's dog. And they look out the window and see her walking a cat. And Jennifer is, that is weird. And Marty's, you're telling me three minutes ago it was a beagle. So Jennifer says maybe uh, she's pet sitting and again she kind of dismisses Marty's observations because she has to rush off to work. Now, maybe this is probably another deleted scene. We see Jennifer, she gets to the bar where she works nights, she steps in and the guy's like, Hey Jennifer, turn on the light for the sign outside, would you? So she dips back outside, flips the switch for the, the sign, the neon sign to come on outside. She goes back in and immediately freezes because it's not a bar anymore. It's a hair salon. And now where everything was seconds ago, they were like old ladies with their hair and curlers and stuff. And they're like, hello. And she's like, huh. <laughs> so uh, Marty's at home on the couch, you know, strumming his guitar just to himself, uh, just chilling out. You can see him slumped. And he looks up as Jennifer walks back in and Marty's like, that was fast. You didn't get fired, did you? And uh, Jennifer says, well, that remains to be seen and Marty's and the bar uh, that remains to be seen as well and Marty looks blank and so they they so they're like well something is definitely happening so they start to uh, clock larger and larger changes in rapid succession all the while trying to contact their folks or their family phoning but all the lines their numbers are disconnected um, Marty, um, you know, the, the, they check Hill Valley in the listings, in the book listings, and they find that the town as they know it is gone. Uh, Hill Valley is still there, but it's it's basically Silicon Valley. And in the 70s, instead of San Francisco, it happened here. And it's just this huge industrial computer, puppy-yuppie type stuff. So in their home address book, Marty finds his brother Dave's number, and far out of town. Across the country, in fact, and he calls him. We get the cameo from the and that's when we get some info. Just like, what are you talking about, Marty? Everyone knows a blah, 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 blah. Um, So he hangs up, says goodbye today. Maybe he has something similar with his sister. Jennifer has phoned home and found similar stuff, but everyone is okay. It's just different. More and more changes, which only Marty and Jennifer are aware of. Uh, Mrs. Carnapple is now a large Asian man called Mr. Hosito. Uh, Marty calls his work, but his boss is different and far less friendly. Marty is getting seriously freaked now. Jennifer comes in from the bedroom, and Marty's like, you won't believe this, but apparently my boss is an asshole. And uh, and Jennifer says, so what else is new? And Marty reacts to this, and then a beat. And and he pauses, frowning, because there was something there. He realises her voice, and he turns and looks at Jennifer, and she's now Elizabeth Shue. And he freaks, that's right, surprise cameo. And Marty's all like springing up being pure Jay Fox. What the hell's going on? <laughs> uh, in that cracked voice thing he has. And Shu is like, Marty, what? And uh, so now he is apparently the only person aware that things are off. Um, Shu is patient and aware of their past to a point, And she's on his side and she's not thinking he's crazy necessarily. And he's freaking and pacing and reeling and pure Jay Fox losing it, and she's keeping her head, and she sits him down and says, well, you know who must know what's happening, right? And there's a beat, and then both of them, dark. So not sure what he's hoping to accomplish, but Marty uh, looks up Emmett Brown, but they can't find any sign of him anywhere, um, and he looks, Marty looks at his photo that he took with Doc in 1885, but Doc's not there anymore, and it's just him standing there by himself. Doesn't make any sense, because why would he be there if Doc doesn't know? Well, who cares? So more crazy changes happening. Um, Jennifer starts to not notice the differences, which is for Marty goes, oh, no, Uh, the president is a hologram. America is owned by France. The moon is colonized by Pepsi. More changes, (laughs) larger, faster, crazier. But a nightmare moment. Marty turns to Jennifer, who looks at him, but now is someone else entirely. And now she has no idea who he is. And then he races across the room to a picture of them, you know, together, and he turns back, and she's gone, and the picture is of strangers, and the apartment is now a parking garage, and he's alone and helpless and freaked, and so in oh, desperation he drives. It's a cool
0: scenario. Yeah, uh, he, uh,
1: he doesn't have his four by four, but he ha- he his keys work for a VW Bug, um, so he get uses that to drive to what used to be Hill Valley as he knew it, and he drives to where Doc. His, his old workshop in nineteen eighty-five was of all those clocks and shit, but the space is now a massive yuppie cafe. And Marty turns back to his VW, but that too is gone. And Marty's just there. And you know it, like yet he sort of no longer exists and he's truly out of time. And he's marooned and he's alone, in serious trouble, and he's tripping over curbs whilst he's looking around, no idea what's going on. And then lightning, a flash, a crash, and there it is screeching up next to him, smacking into a bench and knocking it over, the DeLorean and dry ice spurts out and the door opens in that wonderful noise and all this dry ice pours out of that as well. And Marty dares not hope, but approaches with caution and the Doc emerges and it's a pure shot from the first film, Wannabe. And Doc uh, doc is like, Marty! And Marty's like, Doc, Doc, is it really you? And you remember me, you remember everything, anything. And Doc's like, oh, I remember. I remember it all. Don't you worry. It's me and it's you. And we're in some serious trouble. He's like, no shit, Doc. But he's beaming and they embrace and he goes, come on, we have work to do. So
0: I'm immediately, that is so happy, (laughs) Keppy. Exactly as you promised at the beginning. Yeah, okay. (laughs)
1: That's nice. So for Marty, it's been three years since he last saw the dog. Uh, But for the Doc, it's been closer to nine or ten years. Uh, But he still looks great. Um, And Marty is like, all right, what the hell's happening, Doc? And Doc's like, it's my kids, Marty. We've got to do something about my kids. (laughs) And that's That's your trailer. that has got trailer (laughs) memories all over it, literally. Um, And we learn. So um, Jules and Vern, um, they're now 16 and 14, so it's about... 10 years later, I'm guessing. I'm thinking they're like six and four at the end of Back to the Future 3. So with that in mind, whatever, now they're 16 and 14 and they've stolen the time train. Um, So Jules is now the oldest, of course, and he's almost the same age as Marty was. uh, So there's that angle as well. They are rebelling. Jules especially, we learn, after a massive falling out with his dad is a live wire. He has been, uh, this has been a long time coming, Now Jules has stolen the train with Vern in tow, maybe he snuck on board, and Doc is like, one hell of a time to take a joyride, and we learn that Doc and his family were living in in recent years, they were living in the far future, and Doc has rebuilt and modified the time train many times, and these days it is decked out in everything the far future has to offer, and he's like, even an an ice cold maker! Can you believe that, Marty? An ice-cone maker! What wonders the future has to offer! And he's like, that's great, Doug. So once the kids stole the train and then went on this massive time joyride, the timelines start going nuts. Um, so still stuck in the future, the doc rebuilt the DeLorean and sought out Marty. yet had to wait for Marty to come to a familiar place in order to track him down in the right location using the causality device And Doc is like, I'm still working on the name. I was thinking of the causality machine. What do you think? I know, I know, don't tell me. Too garish, too gauche. It's great, Doc. (laughs) So we learn, we further learn that with no supervision and not caring one bit about the laws of of time that their dad has been shoving down their throats all their lives. I mean, obviously because he's been shoving it down their throats for years, the kids are now off on a bender, bouncing about time, Reckless, careless, causing havoc. Doc, at one point, gets like a a blackboard and does like the line, this is here and this is the offshoot, And this, but then like the chalk line is white in the middle and then he gets like different colored chalk and and going off and off and sort of turning into a massive multicolored tangle of bull of just what the timeline has become with the white line in the center sort of getting more rubbed out the, the more the bull gets built and all of that. Um, So Marty hasn't been affected by all of these changes in time because he's an experienced time traveler, so he is immune for for now. Jennifer wasn't affected at first, but her time traveling experience was far less, so the causality caught up with her. And now she will continue to change with the universe, along with everything and everyone else, as more changes are made by the free willing kids. So in this far future, Doc rebuilt the DeLorean, which is souped up as as well and ready to go, and it's run now by kinetic energy, meaning as 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 long as it's in motion, it can generate the necessary voltage of gigawatts. So now, kicking off act two, Doc and Marty must bounce around time, following the trail left by the train, riding in its temporal wake, hoping to restore order and undo the damage before it's too late. Uh, and so now Doc and Marty in the time machine. And Marty's like, where to, Doc? And Doc says, where it all began, the future. And they go to the year 3000 as uh, first stop. Now, it's called the year 3000. Uh, this is up for debate because calendars were made, were outlawed sometime around the 22nd century. So it's just the year 3000, but no one really knows. Once there on a blackboard, uh, yeah, we, we do all of that shit. Um, and then Marty's like, whoa, this, this is, this is heavy. Yes, it is rather. And Marty sort of to himself was like, well, I was going to say intense, but sure, heavy's good. Uh, The timeline is like this big tangled ball now. So that's why they have to follow exactly the route of the time train to catch up with it. They can't just jump to it. Um, but for Marty, time is running out as despite his time traveling past, to the past and the future, uh, and one alternative timeline, the changes will eventually catch up with him too, just as with Jennifer. And even after that, eventually, even Doc is not immune, and eventually he too will get absorbed into a tangled mess and lose his self. So the race against the clock is for Marty, and it's akin to the fading photo in part one. You know, um, he's going to basically not be himself. And in fact, as they near closer to zero hour, Marty starts to physically change, like, first of all, his clothes start to be a bit different, and then, like, you know, he has a gold tooth or something, and it's akin to the checking of the photo, there's little, little differences, Um, and Doc notices he has a different badge on his jacket, but then, like, he puts on his sunglasses, but they're different, and then more changes, and towards the end, you know, even his skin pixels are slightly His pigments are a little bit different. At one point, he's like a really dark skin, nothing inappropriate. At one point, he's blonde. Um, And even more so, at one point, he starts speaking Spanish, shown with subs. And he's like, whoa, it's Spanish with subs. Whoa, Doc, I'm totally speaking like, what is this, Italian? And it's a massive (laughs) bedazzled wannabe. Doc struggles to remember any Spanish he may know. And they may have a scene or two struggling to communicate while dealing with the issue currently at hand. Uh, but you know, for, at the moment he's in flux. You know, they went to Eric Stoltz to see if he wants to cameo in a scene where he turns into Eric Stoltz, but Eric Stoltz said no, so they didn't do it. But it's one of those things that people talk about. And um, I, in the credits, you may or may not have noticed actually, Leah Thompson doesn't actually appear I in did. this.
0: I didn't want to ask in case. It was well, honest, so.
1: no, it's not a surprise because she's not in it, and it's and it's not like a big thing. It's like in reality. Zemeckis, you know, said, and but she was like, it would just be a cameo, just like everyone else, and she wasn't really interested in Caroline in the city you know, in talks. So, so she's not in it, and of course, Glover is having none of it. So, so there you go. But there's no, and also Steenberg doesn't turn up um, again. Nothing against her, but I'm not a big Clara fan. Clara's fine, but we, she's just not in it. <laughs> so there you go um, so there you go so that's nice so at the moment though Marty is himself and and to be honest I don't ever mention this again in the script or whatever in my notes so it happens but, but that's the last time I mention it um, <laughs> but now their first obviously year 3000 Earth is like at this point a cracked husk it's just a, it's just like a, an old massive rock in, in space, but the galaxy is teeming with human life. No aliens, which disappoints Marty. Sorry to disappoint you, Marty, but in all my time travels, I, the closest I've come to meeting an alien was a guy with three eyes, and it turned out he was just from Jersey. Um, and what was once Earth is now a three, qu- well, it's like a three-quarters left rock, but it's now a deluxe holiday resort akin to Cafe 80's Cafe Earth. This is where Doc refurbished the DeLorean in the first place, and it's where he also stashed some necessary stuff here. So that's why they've gone, which they need to follow the time train. So Marty and Doc on a mission in a strange new world. Once there, they collect Inie, Einstein from uh, suspended animation, and he appears very well and in great condition. And Marty's like, seriously, how old is he these days? Einy, Oh, I'd say 30, 35. Uh, Einstein has been fitted out with all sorts of techno bits and pieces an artificial heart, lungs, a new spine, a self-regenerating claws and fur, uh, optical implants, self-cleaning teeth. And Doc says, plus a replaceable tongue. Nothing combats bad breath like a tongue change every six to eight months. And Marty kind of peers into Einstein's mouth for a look. Pure Jay Fox. Um, this, is, uh, this future is all floating castles and pink edible clouds, it's weird shit because again, it's for the kids, it's a tourist trap all the real living and so forth is done far, far off world on Earth 2 and New Texas and Dubai and hello and the Imperial China and Austria Alliance and Moonbase 17, home to the popper and uh, Doc is like, Earth, Earth is for the rubes So um, they go around um, in this tourist trap, avoiding being scammed by touts and seeing lots of inaccurate depictions of old earth. The region Doc takes Marty is the 20th century quarter, and it's all woefully inaccurate. Uh, There's a hollow tour guide who's saying stuff like, here be the home of royalty. No one knew this fallen monarch's true name, calling him only Prince. And Purple Rain starts playing, and Marty gorps, and Doc rolls his eyes, he's like, bah, and pulls Marty away. <laughs> in the background, in one of these places, there's a faded poster reading Vote Forest, but this is only added in like five years later on the special Blu ray edition. But it's the Mecca's having some fun in Vote Forest Gump 2 of mine. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, total aside, we, I, I think Zemeckis wins um, for us. This is our force, Zemeckis. Did you know that? Is that our right? Force. Jesus. Yeah. Christ. Back to the Future, uh, Romancing the Stone, Roger okay. Rabbit, Forrest yeah. Gump. What Probably. do you think about
0: that? Well, I can't wait for Polar Express 2 coming. Oh, well,
1: yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, tropical Express. Good stuff. <laughs> So anyway, uh, and also, by the way, this is our second Jay Fox after Teen so good stuff, tasty. Um, so anyway, um, oh, that was, Zemeckis has fun with some crazy shit, like sneakers that turn into Transformers, caps that sprout tiny wings and fly off your head if you wear them inside, square pizza. They navigate their way through this crazy landscape, the three of them going for it, Marty, uh, Doc, and Aini. Marty has trouble opening a Pepsi which sprouts legs and runs off. Um, Mm -hmm. Marty and Doc are there to collect the original flux capacitor from the original DeLorean, which was used um, also for the time train originally. It's been replaced a few times since then, but they need to retrieve it in Doc's old lab because they used to hang out here. Um, And this will lock on the train's warp signature and enable them to cut through the time model and and follow it in, in its temporal wake. So Doc stashed it in a now defunct and woefully inaccurate representation of a cinema of the 1950s. It has nice curtains and a huge screen but the chairs are all floating and bumping into each other and the only thing playing is Weird Yao Yankovich dressed as a Don Draper type, selling edible cigarettes to Mickey Mouse, who speaks in Japanese. All this is further complicated by Doc being spotted by a local shady type, who immediately picks up a hollow phone and says, with a toothpick in his mouth, yeah, you'll never guess who I saw, he's back. So there's a gang culture here as well, and one of the gangs has serious issues with Doc. This group is called the Cheeseheads, and they're a dangerous group of tailed tourist board workers who have long since let their genetic and bionic implants go a bit crazy. Uh, so Marty and Doc have retrieved the flux capacitor but are now being chased through the dilapidated streets by this gang. Everything's gone to shit in this area. Uh, there were rocket packs in this chase. There were hollow shields, astro-projectile rockets. It's a major fun action and shtick from Doc and Marty and Inie as they race back to the DeLorean with the cheeseheads in hot pursuit. And to Marty, Doc explains, Slight misunderstanding. They wanted me to build them a pinball machine, 80s style. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Turns out they meant an actual bomb. Turns out I gave them both. Went off right in their faces, apparently. A real nudge and a ding, if you know what I mean. And Marty, like, looking over his shoulder at them chasing, and he's like, they look all right to me. But one of their cheese heads turns his head, and we see that his face is 80% hologram, and it's a bad one at that. And at the right angle, you can see straight through into his skull and into his bones and stuff. And Marty's like, yeah! It's not, like, super gory. This is a PG, but, you know, it's, like, 1995 technology, weird, weird look inside someone's head. The trees heads chase Doc and Marty, exciting foot chase over floating, bouncing clouds and rubber trees that bounce and spring and bend about the place. Marty and Doc get to the DeLorean in the nick of time. The trees heads surround the car and advance with menace, but Doc disables their hollow projectors, allowing their true forms to be seen. Their open heads, their gaping cavities, missing limbs become apparent. Now with severely limited eyesight, hearing and brain power, Plus basic coordination, the cheeseheads now run into each other, bounce off walls, and spin in circles on the spot. Doc and Marty see all this as they close the doors of the DeLorean, and Doc punches in the the time-on-the-date jump thing. And then from the DeLorean, as Marty stares at these cheeseheads gone amok, Doc says, Don't do drugs! And they skedaddle. Uh, They now have um, the tech wide into the car. To follow the route taken by Doc Son in the time train, now it's all a matter of catching up with them in time. Uh, from this jumping-off point, uh, Doc and Marty various to uh, travel to various times and places. Now, this is my point. This is basically now a montage. This was going to be the plot, but um, they're on the trail and they and they're looking in. But where they, wherever they've been, you know, wherever the time train has been has by definition caused all sorts of problems. This flying train is disrupted everything. So following the trail, getting closer and closer, each jump takes them to a new and wild period and location. Now they're jumping in uh, time and space, so they're going all over the place uh, in the past, present, and future. So each time Doc and Marty immediately land, they're in the soup, because they're arriving almost instantaneously from the perspective of the people who are there from the time train. And so, they're they're in hot water all the time, and they have like, you could have a mini adventure, maybe one minute uh, or five minutes for another, 10 minutes maybe for another, um, where they avoid trouble, maybe escaping peril. And throughout all of this, um, no matter how bad things get, one thing remains, Marty and Doc have positive energy. They are, on one level, having the time of their lives. Um, So, Doc, at one point, might even say, I was so concerned about destroying the machine, I forgot why I built it in the first place, to learn, to grow, and to have wild, wild adventures. And Marty is like, you know, I don't know what it is, Dad, the time travel, or just you, I'm a better man when I'm around you, I, I just am. And he has a little bit of pathos for a second. Uh, Doc and Marty go far and wide. At one point, they're chased by a Mongolian army over snowy plains. This ends with Marty pulling a massive skid, and the DeLorean front end sticks right over a massive drop of this huge cliff. And it's tilting and hovering over the edge with Doc and Marty inside. And Marty's up for bailing out, but it's too risky. And Doc has another plan. And the hordes are wary, but they've drawn like a semicircle round. And they've got their weapons out, and they're coming closer to the car. And the car is teetering on the edge of the abyss. if it falls, it will, of course, be utterly destroyed. But as the hordes of nasties draw closer, weapons out, Marty and Doc start to rock it, uh, slowly sending it further over the edge and inside the car through the windscreen. And seeing the huge drop, you know, from their point of view as it t- tilts down and, you know, and it goes further and further down the, the, the hood of the car. And Marty's like, I sure hope you know what you're doing, Doc. And Doc says, So do I. And Marty looks at him like, ha! Huh? And the car slowly topples over the cliff, then plummets down, 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 nose first, and the passengers scream and Einstein barks. But the necessary kinetic energy is generated by the full blue lightning crackles and surrounds the car, and the law in time jumps, disappearing in the flash, just before hitting the rocks at the bottom, leaving flaming cacti or fauna or whatever at the bottom. At one point, they jumped in 1920s New York, uh, they run afoul of some gangsters in a speakeasy. Marty has another car chase driving the DeLorean, but it's not time jumping. And we see that Marty is an excellent driver, very exciting in the back alleys of old New York. Uh, another point, maybe Marty enters a drag race in uh, in the 1940s, the 2140s, with souped up hot rods in concrete reservoirs, um, like Super Mario Brothers, like really high up. Uh, maybe to the Civil War, where they thwart an attack on a civilian settlement, accidentally blow up a strategically important bridge, and freak out General Lee. Uh, to the Roman Empire, to the court of King Henry VIII, to Vikings in Norway, to the Boxer Rebellion in China. Marty, we're out of time. Doc, we're out from time. I'm not sure if that works, but that can be in the trailer too. Each jump from, from closer and closer to the train as well as closing the rip in the fabric of the universe um, and beginning to slowly repair uh, the damage. And the doc's like, imagine a giant zipper open at the top, but getting longer all the time. And here's us at the bottom, following, closing the gap, zipping it up as we go. Very dark, so we're a huge zipper. No, no, we're just the tiny bit you tug on, which always snaps off when you lose down the back of the couch. Better yet, and now they arrive in an alternative 1999. Zemeckis is having fun with this close what-if future. This is Hill Valley. The Silicon Valley has only grown over the last 11 years since Martin's time, and it is more powerful than ever. And here things settle a bit. We're we're well into the second, well, we certainly started the second half. That whole time jumping can be 10 minutes, it could be a a one-minute montage. But now we sort of settle um, there in Hill Valley. They're in 1999, uh, December 31st. And here we meet Jennifer. Uh, Marty she tracks her down. We see what she has become. Uh, she has, in fact, lent into the hinted, uh, perhaps, greedy nature or wanting stuff nature. She's now very snooty and nasty and obsessed with money. We also meet a nasty man who she's married, and I think it might be an ex member of the Pinheads who walked out in the, of the group in 1987, and Marty never forgave him. And now, here he is, it's Matthew Broderick, and we have Marty versus Ferris. And Marty and the doc must break into his company's main office, a top secret development lab, to steal the tech they need. It must be here and now, because at this point, They have no control over where they travel to. It's only where the train has been. And the DeLorean at this point is a bit of a state. More and more battered, the the more adventures they've had. Is that like another arrow sticking out of his own ship? Plus time is running out for Marty. He's almost their exalts, Um, but they are not alone. Uh, Two mysterious strangers have tracked Doc and Marty since their arrival in this alternative 99 and now present themselves with a flourish These are alternative versions of Doc and Marty. This one from 99. And yeah, it's it's both of them, of course, and they're really going for it. They want to help and they do just that. And they help our Doc and Marty break into this top secret compound owned by evil Broderick to steal the necessary shit. They're using New Year's Eve um, because the millennium bug is about to kick in, resulting in a historic blackout. um, and they need that to break into the lab lab or whatever. lab, the loot and uh, an exciting keeper set piece unfolds. It is here they also meet an alternative Biff. This could be an apparent version of the dark 1985 Biff. Now on very hard times, things went very wrong for him. Now a security guard at this compound all washed up very bitter. He under orders from Broderick tries to stop our heroes and it's only with witty and mind-fucking jiggery-pokery that the alternative Doc and Marty make Biff think that, and maybe Broderick as well, think they're seeing double and saying they're over there. No, they're over there. And they go in one door and one corridor and come out, and go, are you looking for me? And fuck with them. Uh, allowing our heroes to escape, uh, leaving the nasties to their failure. Uh, we Now, I don't know if during any of this, we may cut uh, to Jules and Verne in the time machine or not. If we do, we certainly find out that they are seriously regretting their actions. They are out of control. They were having fun for the first few jumps, but soon realized the damage they were causing and they couldn't undo anything. Um, plus it was preventing them from returning home because they were changing their own futures and stuff. And the timelines were getting too messed up and they were panicking and continued to get worse and worse the more they were trying to make things better. Um, and they're out of time, they're out of control, they're fucked, they're like, oh my god! So now, in the first few hours of the year 2000, with the help of Alternative Doc and Alternative Marty, we have our heroes, We have what they, they have what they need. Um, back at Alt Doc's lab, he helps our Doc fiddle with the DeLorean, um, so the next jump will take them straight to the train. Uh, Alt Doc and Alt Marty, we find out, have been friends since 83, and have had their their own adventures. Mm. They too are time travelers of sorts with their own machine, but it's not a DeLorean. It's much more basic, actually. It's not a vehicle. Um, This doc perhaps isn't as smart, um, apparently, as our doc, maybe only a half genius. Um, Their machine is akin, actually, to the H.G. Wells movie machine. Mm. And, um, And doc's like, why didn't you read a book instead of just watching movies? And the other doc is like, Movies are just quicker and easier. And Doc <laughs> sort of mouths to Al-Marty. Aha, half genius. The machine is comprised of two seats, basically, back to back, and they spin super fast, and they can time jump, but we learn that this machine is only able to travel back and forwards by one day um, at a time. So while the Docs are working on the DeLorean fixing the shit stolen from Roderick, Marty, our marty is looking around the lab, Um, But, like, you know, he goes into, like, Doc and Marty's stuff. He finds out they're very wealthy. Um, And whilst Doc is busy sucking his own dick, Marty slowly begins to suspect that these other Doc, and Marty's acquired this wealth with dubious means. In fact, Marty does some snooping in the lab and finds a large back room overflowing with time swag. As uh, alternative Marty says, the almanac is peanuts to what we do on a daily basis. Um, so they are somewhat corrupt. Um, so Marty tells Doc about this, but he says they're helping. And besides, they can't pose a serious threat to the timeline. The things, the way things currently are, and once the damage is undone to the tangled time ball, this ulterior alternative world will cease to exist anyway. So our Doc and uh, Marty and Einy get into the newly retooled DeLorean with the modifications made by Alt Doc and they're set to go, ready to catch up with the train and end this madness once and for all, when Doc, sitting inside, notices something wrong on the readout of the dash, is counting backwards the, uh, the arrival date, ticking back rapidly in days and then weeks and then months. And Doc taps it and is like, no, this is not right at all. And Alt-Doc and Marty watch from outside the car, and then Doc puts it together, but too late. And inside, our Doc says to Marty, get out, quick. But it's a trap, As it and as it turns out, old Doc and Marty aren't just corrupt, they are full on evil. And what they want is what Doc and Marty have, real time power. And now, the penny drops and the masks fall, and evil Doc cackles and gurns, and evil Marty titters and simpers, as our heroes can do nothing trapped mm-hmm. in the car. <laughs> and armed now yeah and then really having fun with it armed now you can just see jay fox armed now is a secret <laughs> stuff oh yeah yeah a tiny thin mustache really thin like a 12 year old's mustache <laughs> armed now with the secrets that our doc's t- flux capacitor evil doc and marty can use their own limited time machine but now it will take them straight to the time train which they mean to possess Jules and Verne would cause the quantum mess. In the hands of evil Doc and Marty, it will spell the certain end to the entire universe. Uh, Meanwhile, our DeLorean crackles and sparks and time jumps. Back, back, back in time. The dial on the dash continues to speed backwards. Months, and years, then decades, then centuries, then centuries, and centuries, and centuries. And Marty's like, what the hell's going on, Doc? And uh, we find evil Doc has rigged the DeLorean travel back in time further and further with no date set for them to stop ever. Back, back, back they go, stuck in the time vortex which rages outside the windows. And Doc is like, they've turned the DeLorean into a trap, a bomb, a rocket out of control, heading straight into the jaws of pre-time and certain oblivion. And Marty's like, this, this is... Heavy again, yes. Yes, it is heavy. And uh, back, 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 out of control. The flux is going crazy. The dash is sizzling and starting to melt. The whole machine is shaking and whining and humming dangerously. The whine is increasing in tempo and volume and pitch. And Marty's like, Doc, we're going to come apart. It's not looking good, Marty. I won't lie to you. What happens if we fall out into that? And points to the vortex outside. We're dead, right? Oh, not necessarily. Try to imagine every molecule in your body being separated, then sent instantaneously to different point in time, then reforming in a state of perpetual motion. Forming, reforming, in flux, scattered throughout eternity, forever. So, no death. That's great, Doc. Uh, so Doc Thank says um, he has one idea it's tricky very very tricky and technical also oh, very technical one wrong move the slightest miscalculation and he rummages beneath his seat and takes out a pair of toenail clippers and Marty's like how long have those been there since at least the middle ages and Doc <laughs> rams him into the flux causing a huge spark which then uh, causes deceleration and the whining and shaking and smoking winds down and ceases and the DeLorean bursts out of the time vortex into reality. Uh, They are literally hundreds upon hundreds of millions of years in the past. And the earth hasn't formed yet and the car is hanging in space and all the lights are off except a tiny blinking yellow light on the dash while uh, the headlights shine into nothing, illuminating nothing but the vacuum of space. And Marty says, I'll try full beam and clicks it <laughs> and Doc just looks at him <laughs> and there's no power and the, ha- the car hangs in the void and our heroes are stuck maybe like a fucking billion years in the past in space. Now the car was built in the future, so it's all sealed up and that's all right, but the instruments are freezing up and the windows are slowly cracking and nothing's working and the car is just hanging dead in space in an in inertia with no momentum to move them and therefore jump. Doc and Marty, have this quiet moment now to reflect in this dark rock bottom, as they talk about their lives without time travel, without each other. Marty speaks about him being so happy with Jen, but being directionless these last few years. And yeah, he was so brave in his time traveling adventures, but in real life, he's been more scared than he'd ever admit. And he says like, I mean, I work a dream job, fast cars with responsibility and excitement every day, but I'm always in the pit. Never the one out there behind the wheel. And I don't know why. And the Doc spills on his own issues. Clara and he have been nothing but happy, but he was never a very good father. And his own treatment or lack of treatment of his own sons is what caused this whole mess in the first place. So now floating dead in space, Doc and Marty are having this little moment and the cracks in the window start to grow and the flux is totally cracked as well. And Marty's the one who figures it out. And he's talking about being too afraid to drive fast, to join in the races. And he says, and yet this whole trip, I've done nothing but drive fast and drive great. It's true, Marty. You are a talented driver. It's like behind the wheel, I can do anything. Just put my foot down and nothing can. And he pauses and the doc is like, looks at him and Marty says, Doc, let's floor it. Marty, I know your proclivity for reckless speed is nothing new, but I don't see how revving the engine and burning the last of our evaporating fuel will do anything but spin our tires and probably burst the rubber. Right, Doc, it'll spin the tires. And then Doc gets it. If they spin the back wheels, it will generate momentum. Not much, but enough to push the back of the DeLorean up forwards in space the momentum won't dissipate but the movement will grow causing more momentum and kinetic energy so they do it they floor the accelerator and their wheels spin and the car starts to move and as the young sun now shines through the windscreen lighting up the cockpit and our heroes faces the first lawn the first dawn lights their way and the frozen tires burst and the air is expelled and the car then flips back over nose and the dash lights up and the flux starts to hum and throb again. And in front of this rock that will, these two will see as a rock again, as Planet 80s uh, or Planet Earth or Cafe Earth, the car then jumps through time once more straight into the third act. Doc and Marty escape their time trap, jump into the original uh, location of the train Where it had last stopped. It is 1692 in a lush meadow in Salem, Massachusetts and the DeLorean lands beside a small community settlement and immediately find jewels and he's on trial as a he-witch and the settlers are convinced of witchcraft having seen the flying train disappearing in a burst of electricity. Doc and Marty's arrival has sent most of the settlers scattering uh, so we, we find out, we probably don't see it, but we find out that evil Documati caught up the time train, threw out Jules, nicked it, and Vern is hiding, stowed away, unseen. Um, and we find out more about that, but that's the setup. But at Documati's arrival, we just find Jules immediately in trouble, about to be burned up. And um, there's a self-appointed elder of the village, who is a witch finder general type, who is mid-sentencing jewels to burning at the stake at that moment. And he looks a lot like Strickland and he must be uh, he must be dealt with, says Doc, by way of magic. Um, now, I actually wanted to, after saying all that shit earlier, I managed to avoid in this all of the cameos, it's not offspring like Blackadder, where they all look the same. But here, I just I just thought that this character existed, I thought it just has to be Strickland. So, I'm breaking my own rule, and it's one of Strickland's <laughs> descendants, and he looks exactly like him. Um, so, um, he's, he's there. But in a spin on the Marty and George uh, incident in part one, Marty now confronts Strickland, carrying then aloft a large boombox a la Cusack, and he plays a full volume Hopkins, The Witchfinder General by Cathedral. That's, my name is Hopkins, I'm the witch finder. (laughs) Um, And that's why this film is 1995. It had to be one. Um, And so this boombox and this music um, belong to Jules, by the way, which is where that came from. My name is Hopkins, blares out, which royally freaks Strickland right the fuck out. And he's like, Antichrist, devil! He screams, panicked. Marty's like... You should try Van Halen. All this allows Doc to bust Jules into his holding hut. Um, They have father and son reunion. Jules stammers, trying to find the words, but Doc won't let him finish, embracing him in a big father of all hugs. And Doc, emotional, Next time, just ask for the keys. And Doc and Jules race back to the car, just as Marty, now pursued by a torch-carrying village mob, gets there too. And this is the first time Marty and Jules have ever really properly met. And now they are more or less sort of, well, he, you know, they're, they're, they're of a same ish age. Jules has always had bitter feelings and jealousy towards Marty, as Doc talks about him all the time. And this other son, as far as, as, far as Jules is concerned, was always just, he was always in a shadow. Um, and that's a lot of the rebellion came from. Another face to face, and Jules has been through a lot. Jules knows exactly how much damage he's done, and he and he is in awe uh, at meeting the living legend that is Marty. And Doc is like, formalities later. For now, let's roll. And uh, the, they get in the car as the mob move closer, and Jules is like, it's going to be a tight fit. And uh, Doc is, don't worry, I fashioned a back seat. Oh, that's great, Dad. And Jules definitely has like Marty vibe. I didn't cast Jules because... I don't know, this is 95, some young up-and-comer, but I i don't know, maybe it's a one-hit wonder. And he, he's a bit of a Hayden Christensen. And he never really did anything. I don't know, I didn't want to cast him, but he's like, um, he's got elements. There's a Marty, and maybe, dare I say, there's a, a future film series starring Jules, who knows? Maybe it's one of those things which never happens. It's a real Henry Cavill at the end of Black Adam, one of them. Anyway, he's like, um, oh, sure. I decided I, I needed the space, so back seat. And uh, Jules is like, you brought the dog, they all pile in, Doc drives, and they, they floors it, they're away. The mob will sort of shake their pitchforks and shit, but then they turn immediately and run in the opposite direction, still carrying their flaming torches. And the car goes off in a flash, it's a beat. Uh, and he's like, so sorry. And he's like, oh my God, dad, the train, I'm so sorry, and Vern's in there. I don't know. I saw you arrive, and you—you tricked me, and I didn't know it was you. How would I know it wasn't you? He's like, "Don't worry, Jules." Um, And so we—we basically, at this point, chase after the evils. So now, Doc, Jules, and Marty must stop the runaway train, rescue Doc's youngest son, and save the universe from extinction. The DeLorean is barely hanging together now, a real beaten up mess. Everything is wobbling and coming apart. We see the train uh, now. We jump to where they are. It is 2185. An evil Doc and Marty are using the train to rob a planetary reserve of its pseudo-cash, sort of like a massive federal reserve floating in the sky, almost in the stratosphere. We miss the actual robbery, but um, there's a great big hole in the side of this thing, and the train plows out and inside the cockpit, evil Doc and Marty are whooping with bags of riches all around them, uh, hollow currency flapping in the air like paper bills. As they slap each other on the backs and whoop it up some more, uh, some sort of local law enforcement sort of jets shoots after them. Um, now, as they slap each other on the back and all of this, we see unnoticed behind them, a hidden compartment crack open and a pair of eyes peer out. And this is Vern he's like 14, he's stashed in the back of the cockpit, watching behind a hidden compartment, clearly terrified as the train flies away from the shattered bank and all this law enforcement vehicles are racing after them. Um, we see the train now really going through it and it must be said, it is magnificent. It's larger and more advanced than when we saw it before. Um, so you have the cockpit up front with all the controls and shit. Then behind that, you have the living quarters, And then like the engine room which is relatively large and contains the flux capacitor and numerous jobs and futuristic equipment and stuff. So it's a large powerful fully equipped time juggernaut and the cash reserve didn't stand a chance. Um, The other flying police vehicles are chasing. Um, The the train could jump away with the loot but the evil dock sets the train to turn around and ram into and through the pursuing vehicles and evil doc is like like a chrome bullet through wet paper and evil marty's yeah i hate paper and <laughs> evil doc ignores him so the train pulls a u-turn and it's gonna go straight through them and the doc's eyes are manic with violent fever and marty is gnashing with glee and they're about to smash through when Vern, still terrified but gritting his teeth He bursts from his hidey hole and grabs the controls and he flicks the switches like lightning and punches buttons with practiced expertise. And he pulls a huge lever before Doc and Marty get over their shock and can properly properly react. Um, The train jumps just before colliding with all the police vehicles, sending them a hundred years into the future to 2285. The previously empty sky is now filled with mega skyscrapers. And while evil Marty grabs Vern, gotcha, you little sneak. Evil Doc grabs the steering controls and swerves around in between these new obstacles, and Evil Doc then grabs Vern, his eyes crazed, and he turns to Evil Marty and says, Open the door! Let's send this creature into the big by-and-by! And Evil Marty giggles and presses a button, opening the door, folding vertical door as they fly on miles above the earth. An evil Doc has Vern by the front, pure Indian short do. and evil Marty's like, ready to fly, little bird? And Vern is petrified, but manages, Dad, don't! And evil Doc freezes. You mean in another life you're my son? And Vern stares and he manages to nod. And evil Doc, let me guess, I was a lousy father, right? Giving new meaning to the word absentee. And Vern manages to nod again. And Evil Doc calms down just a little bit. He says, yeah, figures. I suppose it'd be the same in any reality. Bad father, bad husband, bad everything. Makes you think. And then a beat. And then, but not for long. Sorry, your old man <laughs> let you down, kid. Well, how's this for absentee, you little brat? And he swings Vern over to the open doors. And is absolutely about to throw him out. And there's a crash in the sky. And there's one. Vern, Doc, and Marty look up and see the DeLorean and it streaks out and loops around and dive-bombs the train, pulling up at the last second and buzzing them, causing everyone to dock. Dock, I mean. Then Doc lets go of Vern, who rushes away from the doorway and dashes through the compartment into the train. Evil Marty sets off after him as Evil Doc steers the time train and attacks the DeLorean. As Evil Marty chases Vern through the inner workings of the train, the sleeping quarters and so on, and then into the engine room, It's a fairly large room with all this machinery and we see gears and steam and flashing lights. It's a bit red, I see it in there. Uh, Evil Marty is looking under the pipes and between the wires as he and Vern have a game of cat and mouse. Meanwhile, it's evil Doc versus hero Doc as they fly their time machines at and around the other. The train is huge and powerful and more advanced than the DeLorean, which was put together in a hurry anyway and is now barely holding together but the car is more nimble and scrappy. They weave and loop and spin as evil Doc repeatedly tries to round the car, the train then time jumps, the car jumps in pursuit and they jump from time to time, they flow, o- fly over Native Americans stopping from hunting their buffalo to stare at the flying metal monsters in the sky, Then they jump into the air battle continuing over the fields of France in the First World War with biplanes buzzing all around them, freaking out the Germans and British pilots. Then we have the future with the train crashing through a hovering advertising billboard of zeppelins advertising everything from Jaws 21, Redux director's cut forever, final cut forever, Pepsi sponsored accommodation on the moon and other things. During this, inside the DeLorean, Marty is on the passenger side next to the window with Doc driving and Jules is crammed between them, freaking out and Einstein is having the time of his life in his like back seat. And Doc is like, we can't keep jumping around like this. Um, The timeline's in enough of a fragile condition. Too much more of these paradox machines smashing through timelines and it's kablooey. And Jules is like, you mean we'll explode? No, no, I mean the entire past, present and future of the universe will explode oh okay plus of course yes us four will explode too because this car is about to either come apart or blow us to bits and jules is like All right and he looks at marty and marty looks at him and says yeah yeah it is always like this and they have a few more close calls and jumps and things and then doc is like okay marty there's only one thing for it okay doc what get on board that train naturally Yeah, naturally. Hey, whoa, wait a minute, Doc. How am I supposed to do that? Jump, obviously. Yeah, right, of course. I'm sorry, Marty, but this dance can't go on forever. We are seriously outmatched. You need to get on that train and stop it. Disable the flux capacitor, and this whole mess should hopefully, hopefully, perhaps, maybe, sort itself out. Okay, destroy the flux capacitor. That sounds doable. Yeah, there is a problem, it's slightly more robust than uh, the one you're used to here. And he motions the little flux in the car. And Marty's like, robust how, Doc? Well, the train is a special machine, so we needed a special flux. And uh, by special, I mean huge, massive, in fact. To disable it might prove tricky. And tricky how exactly, Doug? And, and, uh, but then the, uh, the train then uh, cuts off the dock, plows into them, clips it, sending the car into a, fa- a flat spin. Everyone screams and yells. Um, but the doc manages to get it under control just at the right second. Um, and he manages to flip up and get it actually fly on top. So he's hovering above the time train unseen in the blind spot. And the, and the doc is like, I'm sorry, Marty, but there's simply no time. Either stop it outright or find Vernon, bail out. Don't worry about me. Yeah, I was actually worrying about me, Doc. Uh, Marty (laughs) opens his door and leans out, um, and he looks down, but it's only clouds, and then the train coming up underneath. And he's like, oh, in the train, evil Doc is scanning around looking for the car, and he's like, come on out wherever you are. And in the car, Doc is like, no, Marty. And Marty looks down at the train roof below, and Doc's like, no, Marty. And he's like, oh, I said, an evil Doc then sees the car above and grins and throws a lever, making the train buck wildly, almost colliding with the car. Doc swerves sharply and Marty almost falls out. Then he does fall out, lands on the roof, bounces off, catches hold of the side, hanging off the side of the train, making McFly Whoa! noises. <laughs> the train bucks and swerves and is trying to hit the car. Um He manages to get it just above the train again, just for a second. And he looks at Jules and Doc says, we don't have long. And Jules says, so what can I do? And then Doc opens his door and says to Jules, don't move. Evil Doc is still busy swerving, trying to find and hit the car, not noticing Marty still hanging from the side. Marty, after scrabbling about, manages to get inside the train through a little side panel flap. Meanwhile, Vern and Evil Marty continue their cat and mouse. After some close calls, Evil Marty sneaks behind this last hiding place and does a real aha, but it is empty with a small window open and flapping. Evil Marty looks out, but it sees only sky. Evil Marty to himself, so long kid, hee <laughs> uh, The DeLorean swerves, keeping parallel with the train. Evil Doc is giving it his full focus. Good Marty makes it into the engine room of the train, which now appears empty. He rummages, finding a very large metal bench, and he struggles to keep his footing as the train is rocking about all over the place. After some moments, he finds the flux, and Marty stops and stares, and then he says, Robust, got it, and we see it. It's the same design as the flux capacitor we know. It is massive, like a metre and a half by a metre and a half, and it flashes and burns, encased in the engine, And Marty raises the wrench and brings it right back over his shoulder and smashes it into the flux as hard as he can. The wrench bounces off in a real boing, 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 causing Marty to vibrate and stagger back and fall over, his arms spasming from the impact. And from the floor, he looks up at the flux and finds it utterly unscratched. And Marty to himself, we're going to need a bigger wrench. So the car and the train continue to dance in the sky, maybe jumping from different time periods. Uh, Marty now has found a massive pipe, and he spits on his hands and readies with a major baseball-type swing. Bre- he braces and breathes, and he's about to swing, bringing in the pipe right back behind his shoulder, when the pipe is grabbed from behind and pulled out of his grasp, which spins Marty 180, and as he sways, all turned around, momentarily confused, a fist smashes into his face, and he goes down, bleeding from the corner of his mouth. And he winces in a real McFly way and looks up ah, at the figure standing over him now with the pipe and it's evil Marty. And he says, I'm going to smash my face up, which is your face, boy. (laughs) Uh, And Marty's just staring up at him and evil Doc then rams the DeLorean and again and again and bits are coming off the car, which is just about finished. And he cackles and salivates with the prospect of intimate victory in the engine room. Evil Marty smashes the pipe down, missing Marty by inches as he rolls to one side and everything. Marty is on the back foot. Uh, Evil Marty is relentless, swinging again and again. He smashes up several pieces of machinery as he misses Marty. Evil Marty is berserk, swinging and smashing, with Marty barely able to keep out of the way. The last swing catches Marty on the shoulder, spinning him and crashes him into a wall, he d- manages to duck just as the pipe smashes again where his face had just been and a huge thick wire falls from the wall and cracks in half at a connective joint now in two halves sizzling and buzzing with power on the floor and evil Marty cackles some more and he swings and again he catches Marty this time on the back and Marty goes down and he's looking up right, and he's been kicked and he's fucked and evil Marty stands over Marty and he raises the pipe and Evil Marty, uh, really summoning a bit of uh, Griff, says, batter up, and he raises the pipe. In the cab, Evil Doc has the flagging DeLorean in his sight, and his fingers inappropriately caress the accelerator handle, and the car has no fight left in it, and the engine is gone, and black smoke is pouring out from the back, and all the lights are going out, and it hangs in the air, and the massive train is bearing down on it, and Evil Doc races, about to lean into the handle to accelerate the train, uh, when a figure steps out next to Evil Doc, who then frowns and turns to see who it is, and he stares, and it is Hero Doc. Don't you know you should sound the horn before ramming a stationary object? And he rears back with everything he has, and our Doc throws his first ever punch, and as it lands squarely on Evil Doc's draw, Evil Doc does a Biff triple spinner and then falls back, landing, grabbing the rope as he falls, pulling the horn, which goes, uh, which bellows uh, in apparent victory. And evil dog says, Yes, like that. And then does the classic shaking his hand in pain, like, Ooh. He looks out at, at the DeLorean and waves in victory. And inside, we see the car is being flown by Jules, who salutes back. In the engine room, good Marty is down, evil Marty is standing over him about to swing when a voice behind him speaks up, hey, asshole. And Evil Marty turns and sees Vern and Vern is holding the two massive pieces of wire out for him. And he says the Evil Marty, flux you. And he (laughs) pushes the two power cables together, ringing together in a move very reminiscent of Doc in part one, putting the cable together for the electricity from the lightning. And they crackle and blue lightning sparks and the massive flux capacitor ignites in the throes of maximum overdrive and a massive bolt of white lightning shoots out of the flux, connecting with Evil Marty's upheld pipe, which immediately serves as a conductor. Evil Marty shrieks and is blown blown back, flying across the room, not unlike Hero Marty with the speaker in overload in part one. He flies across backwards, smacked into the wall, lands dazed with smoke rising from his head, but awake and good Marty sees all of this and says, wow, rock and roll. And he and Vern grin at each other Uh, with the massive flux now out of control. It's cracked, it's smoking, it's getting louder and brighter. The pitch is going crazy. So Doc and Marty and Jules have all raced out onto the roof of the train. All controls are shot and fucked. As they scramble up, Doc is like, I was hoping we'd be able to land. What happened to the controls? And Marty, seems there was a slight chance of Volvo, old duck. They get to the roof, the train is shaking violently. In the cab, evil Doc slowly opens his eyes. On the roof, Doc is waving for the DeLorean, which Jules brings down in close, but the train is still shaking and it's hard to get anywhere. In the engine room, evil Marty pulls himself slowly to his feet, his eyes deranged with hate. The DeLorean is getting closer, um, but it's still tricky. In the cab, Evil Doc struggles to get to his feet. A hand lowers into frame. He takes it and Evil Marty pulls Evil Doc to his feet. And they look at each other and at the smoking controls. And then Evil Doc says, let's end this. And Evil Marty says, and let's make it hurt. On the roof, Jules tries to get the car lower down to the heroes. Uh, It's almost in reach. It goes all over the place. Vern um, is lifted up and he gets in. Uh, Doc is like, they're trying to time jump, and everything is shaking like crazy now, and it starts to whine, and you can hear the flux, and Jules is like, if they do that, and Vern shouts, and we're out here, and Marty shouts, we're toast, the flux is in critical, it's at breaking point, very loud, very bright, Uh, the pitch is insane, Doc gets Vern inside the car, and Einy barks, and Doc says to Marty, now you! Marty's like, no way, Doug, get up and in, get to your sons. Clara will never forgive me if you don't make it, so go. Uh, Doc climbs up and he turns and reaches down, stretching his arm for Marty. He stretches his arm. Their hands are almost touching. In the cab, evil Doc says, let's take it all the way, all the way back. And he leans into the controls and the train suddenly shoots almost vertically straight down. Straight down in a nosedive, leaving the car far above, still hovering much to the horror on the Doc's face. Marty is almost thrown from the roof, but he grabs hold, hanging on with all his might, and his legs are off the surface, flipping about, and the train goes down, 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 and in the car, Doc says to Jules, Go! And Jules floors it and turns the wheel, and DeLorean too goes into a crazily steep nosedive, hurtling after the train, and Marty is keeping his eyes shut against the wind smashing into his face. That's all he can do to hang on, and in the cab, evil Doc and evil Marty shriek with glee, and the flux lights up one last time, about to jump, and hanging on, Marty senses something over his shoulder, and he manages to turn his head and look, and he sees this Lorian getting really close, and the door is open, and Doc is leaning right out, his arm is right outstretched, and the train and the car are hurtling towards the ground at top speed, and Marty lets go of the train, and he flies up and away, and the train shoots down fast, and Marty's arm catches hold of Doc's, and the grip is strong, and he's got him, and Marty gets pulled up into the car next to Doc. He pulls him in and pulls the door down, and Vern pulls the door shut. And at that instant, the car time jumps and disappears in a flash, leaving two flaming vertical streaks like an 11 in the sky. And seconds before hitting the ground, the train jumps too. We follow it into the vortex. Where we see evil Doc and Marty shriek with pleasure and victory, then the flux capacitor explodes, and the train breaks apart, and the cab cracks open and separates, and evil Doc and Marty shrieks of dark joy turn into those of terror, and the evils are sucked out into the time vortex where they explode, their molecules atomized, scattered, gone. The rest of the train breaks apart and falls away into the vortex, spinning off and soon lost from sight. And we cut and it's a quiet suburban neighborhood in California and a sprinkler starts and a paperboy throws the paper which studs against the door and a jogger runs down the sidewalk and Mrs. Carnapple walks her dog Milligan and the piece is broken by the explosion of the DeLorean appearing, Uh, arriving with a crash, swerving, bouncing to the ground, swerving again and crashing into a bench, knocking it over and into pieces again. Mrs. Carnapple stares, Milligan barks, the jogger takes it in smoothly, and just turns and jogs back the way he came. the A moment, and then the doors both open, smoke pours out, and then so do Marty, Doc, Einy, Jules, and Vern. And they cough and claps on a, a nice lawn outside a house. And Inie goes over and starts drinking from the sprinkler. And Doc takes a damp, rolled-up newspaper from the lawn next to him and checks the date and says, Right on time! They all sit on the lawn, taking a moment together gather themselves. And then Jennifer comes out from the apartment, uh, the Jennifer, our Jennifer, the original Jennifer, and she runs down the stairs of the courtyard and out to where they sprawl, And she and Marty embracing then kiss passionately. And Doc and Vern avert their gaze, but Jules is staring with a goofy grin at this big passionate kiss until Doc wraps him on the head with the paper. And that's basically that. Marty says he's going to race cars from now on, not just watch on the sidelines. Jennifer says she's gonna quit her night job and focus on her studies. And Doc says he and Clara and the boys have some serious quality time to have. Then Marty says, hey, where is Clara? And the doc goes, oh no, we better go get her. And he realizes it's an emergency. Uh, he now realizes that in the future where Clara is, as soon as the timelines finish unraveling, it that place where she is may soon cease to exist and Clara with it. So everyone piles back into the car in front of the dog walking neighbor and the paper boy. And it takes off into the air and inside the cab, everyone crammed together, including Jennifer. Marty turns to Jennifer and says, oh yeah, Jennifer, will you marry me? And she looks at him and Vern says, awesome. And outside the car turns and accelerates and speeds into the camera. And disappears in a flash and that uh, back in time kicks in. We go straight to the end credits. And the tagline, time travel isn't what it used to be.
0: <laughs>
1: there, you <go. laughs> That's good, there you go, man. My voice well, there is going a go. Bit.
0: Lucky me, Sheppy, to be able to fucking sit here and hear that live for the first time. Jesus wept. That was brilliant oh thanks man <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe the detail you went there like even I i mean Einstein taking a moment to lap up or for sprinkler or something <laughs> another level that just is not necessary but it just made me very <laughs> happy um, yeah it's just man you said at the beginning there like you did some kind of Zemeckis like Giri g- g- Pokery but like that whole action set piece at the end was freaking unbelievably realised man unbelievably oh. I Thank think... you.
1: I thought I, I really wanted to, you know, do it justice, because the ending of the first two especially, and the third one with the train going off the bridge, they're so exciting, and Roger Rabbit and Death Becomes Her, those endings, are like one thing happens and then another and another, So yeah, I really wanted to try and, you know, you Absolutely. did it
0: you did it for what it's worth man it's amazing i think i just love like you got the script for the characters and you went into it and had so many cool lines for docker Marty. i can't wait for the second listen on that but like the the real trick there is you've got this you've got a very terrifying concept particularly at the beginning you'd really caught that and there's moments with better future is quite terrifying like that i mean alternate 1985 is quite a terrifying little sequence I think you've got that tone there as well. And then I think, but within that terror and the chaos, you've got time for brevity and you've got to get that tone right because otherwise it just sounds a bit weird Would the characters really be that relaxed in that moment to make that quip or that line or that, you know, but you you have exactly the right lines between Marty and Doc. It's really nice. Um, Yeah, man, Jesus. I mean, that would be one epic movie. My God, that would be like, you know, it it would be... it might. It's not pretty... going to be
1: a tight. You know, the like, yeah, the others are pretty tight. This this one isn't. So yeah, you're right.
0: The <laughs> you hanger in the middle and do a four or five, maybe, if you wanted. If you wanted. If you Other wanted.
1: Things. If you wanted, you could do it like a three season TV show. But that's <laughs> fine. that's that, that's flight of the Navigator territory. So I'm going to leave that well alone. <laughs>
0: I thought one moment you were going to make Jules and Verne evil, and that you had actually brought in the like the point is actually just to suck my dick or something, you know? Like Jules, they are evil. Those boys, you know. It's the yeah. Movie, what but,
1: a yeah. what a what a twist. Seems to me that as the kids go, Jules, the oldest one, is more like uh, Clara and sort of free thinking and adventurous, and Verne with his knowledge and technical jiggery pokery around the train and stuff is more like doc and it's not massively leaned in on but yeah i see it that way so should the series continue jules would definitely be like marty but frankly because he's like clara and Vern is more of the technical guy
0: but i love yeah. the evil doc and marty it's beautiful it's brilliant it's perfect it's perfect sheppy jesus christ <laughs> Okay, chefs. Well, look, bloody hell. Of all the follow uh, that. Uh, yeah, you can keep uh, making your noises, Shepard, but you know it. Um, anyway, look. Um, so I've gone totally different to you, by the way, which is actually very cool. I was very happy with this. So I've gone Back to the Future Part 4 and 5.
1: Oh, wow. 2023 and
0: 2025.
1: Wow. Oh, I love it. it.
0: That's where I've gone, Sheppy. And one of the reasons there is something I don't really talk about much on Sog, but should. is just that I don't like a four. I like odd numbers. I like mm. an odd numbered little set. I'd like it to be a trinity yeah. or a five. I don't want four.
1: <laughs> I, I love that.
0: It's, very, like, it's something that just gets under my skin that I'd like it to be five, I think. But anyway, <laughs> and what I've done is I've fleshed out four and then I've got a five. If you know what I mean, like just to, I've almost done like the part three trailer, is it like you know, like with the cowboys at the end of part four, you get the trailer as well.
1: And yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You need it because my four is quite bleak, Sheppy. Oh um, no, I've really gone with a <laughs> tone that is probably not in keeping.
1: Oh, I love it.
0: I'm happy with some of it, but you sort of me. Um, so anyway, we've got Christopher Lloyd, obviously. Dot Brown. Uh, I have landed. I think Haley Steinfeld. As Jessica McFly,
1: oh, oh nice.
0: Um, and uh, I was going to go Victoria Pedretti, and um, I d- do you know her? I don't know if you would like, no. you know. Hill House and what oh,
1: well, I've you? seen that.
0: Yeah, so she's the bent neck lady. Spoiler alert. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but I think she's she's I think quite big and in a few things, but I just don't know. Does she, she
1: look a little bit like Lee like Larson? It.
0: Yes. Yeah, a little. And bit, is yeah.
1: she the main part in Bly Manor?
0: Yes, yeah, she is actually right. Yeah, I, I think she's got quite the wrong energy. I think it, we need it to be a bit lighter. Haley's in. Haley's in is just too light. So um, it was Padretti for a long time, but Haley's recast yesterday. Um, and we've got Dakari Montgomery, who was Billy in Stranger Things, the lifeguard god oh. in Stranger Things. He's going to play Skiff Tannen. So totally, oh. your lead on like they don't have to bloody look yeah. like. This um,
1: he could be the son. It works, but it, it's not identical. Yeah, uh, yeah he's in uh, the Power Rangers movie from a few years oh, ago. Wow, as well. Jeez. I know. <laughs> he's got a career.
0: Um, and we've got Mike, we've got with Michael J. Fox, and we've got Tom oh. Wilson as Biff, and then we've got Steenbergen, Tom. where they pop up, they pop up. They, you know, the the usuals. But I have got Weissman as George. I've, I'm I'm accepting that Crispin Glover um, can't come back. But that actually kind of needs to sign away rights to his image for the part five. But that will
1: come. They made friends for Beowulf, um, so I'm sure Glover would do it at this.
0: Oh, that's nice. Let's say he's back then, and that will be necessary for the fifth part. Um, and then um, we've then got new casting as well. Um, David Oyelowo as Dr. Oh. Benjamin Grantham, who's a character that I'm wringing my hands a bit with, but you'll see what I mean when I get there too anyway here we go we don't start with the big back to the future uh, sign um quite we do the little Sylvester twinkle we have a little title card that says 2035 um i haven't got an exact date but effectively 2035 and then we go to um the ground it's a futuristic landscape obviously building slightly on um the 2015 that we saw into um we've got flying cars etc hill valley I've put it's not too ridiculous. Maybe there's a the hoverboard here or there. Um, we've got Marty and his granddaughter are riding hobby sco- hover scooters together towards the bank, and they've got some nice cozy banter. Granddaughter is Jess McFly, she's 18. They park up outside the bank and then um and then just enter it. Uh, Marty explains this is by the way, jay Fox, you know, effectively current age. Um, yeah. and um And basically, uh, you know, playing old Marty McFly here. And he says to the bank tellers, my granddaughter, Jess, is 18th birthday. And we're transferring um, her savings account to her. And, um, And he turns to his daughter as he's standing there with her. And he goes, Jess, remember, Jen and I set this up for you as a baby to help you make your start. But this is just money. Time is the most valuable thing you'll ever spend. And the bank teller says, that's a lovely sentiment. Marty gives Jess's shoulder a squeeze and goes to get some water. And now i've this is what I've do, not done too many little cheeky things. I loved all your futuristic stuff with the the prince royalty. it's amazing, but anyway. so um he goes to get some water. I thought this is quite a cool invention. presses his finger onto the water machine, it checks his fluoride levels and pours the exact requisite glass for his fluoride level.
1: Oh, very and, nice.
0: And, uh, anyway, then. Through the bank screen doors we just hear a
1: mcfly
0: and um skiff Tannen, um our man from stranger things looking timeless not future punky sort of in black but he's looking a bit you know sneery and he's holding an old-fashioned pistol um spoiler alert a pistol that looks very reminiscent to the one held by mad dog Tannen in that's future three um marty turns and um, skiff says i'm here for you mcfly and marty drops the water he's just got he's kind of been active been kind of anticipating a moment like this the last 30 years you know just sort of waiting and um, people in the bank are sort of screaming and sort of falling to the ground it's it's kind of a bit of a non-violent society i see this anyway but such is skiff's presence and um, and marty steps out and says no one has to get her i'm right here and skiff says not you her and skiff aims his gun at marty's granddaughter fires but marty dives and takes the bullet jess runs over to her grandpa falls over the body and um and then skiff starts laughing says my pops used to tell me stories about the mcflies i never took them seriously but this gun belonged to one of my ancestors and he starts to reload it and um, and he goes now it gets to take out two of you and uh, so he points it at jess but the gun jams and in that moment a manager from the bank She's standing in the corner. She looks at one of the security cameras. The camera scans her eye and she blinks very deliberately. That's kind of like the security system of the future in the bank. Nice. And it activates an alarm. Um, but not before Skiff has actually cleared the gun and he shoots. But Jess is then shot. She's down, but as an audience, we're pretty sure it's caught her in her shoulder. It's not fatal. Um, police, drones, cars, they all head for the bank across Hill Valley Square. Skiff sneers again pulled down and away by the cops and we're left with jess lying on the ground next to her grandfather marty um as further police swarm the scene and a security guard from the bank arrives at her side to stem the blood flow Um, and we pull back pull back pull back from this and then we get the silvestri and we get back to the future part four wow and um, we changed to uh, the same skyline, you know, with the, the title over it, uh, which was one of my favourite things, Through the Clouds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, we changed from the sunny sky, and then the clouds darken, and there's a little thunder roll and a lightning crack, and slightly more futuristic again, um, Hill Valley landscape with sort of slightly more Uber flying cars or whatever, a flash, a bang, fire in the air, um, and the train now with exactly as you did like multiple carriages um skids to a stop in the sky descends to within a few feet of the ground a cloak disguised figure jumps from the vehicle and skips over the square through people careful not to disrupt or touch anything and heads for the very futuristic clock tower town hall building um, the building now with multiple functions not least for our purpose here safe box depositories probably even a starbucks Probably even a bit. I don't know. <laughs> the the, thing, the figure enters the hall, slightly manically shuffling through some cards in their palm, ready for the right ID. Um, and they hand over the ID. ID's chosen, handed over. This is no big surprise. But on the little screen, we see a googly-eyed picture of the dock. I'm thinking like vacation passports. Left <laughs> up on the screen. And we've had the chin in shadow, perhaps a wisp of white hair, and now Christopher Lloyd fully reveals himself. Looking a little older than the end of part three, probably some de-aging technology here. Because for me, similar to yours, it's been about five years in Doc time, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. This point. Um, this detailed scan we see the current year very clearly, twenty sixty five. So effectively thirty years after Marty's been shot, um, the security guard that's been um, dealing with him says, "You know, excuse me." Takes a call, and Doc like, takes his moment to like go inside, finds a safe box. Inside, um, the safe box is an old laptop, takes it out, plugs in a battery, hotspots with some remote keyring jiggery pokery. The laptop turns on and he accesses an email account. The first words come through on the email and Doc reads them aloud fast. Dr. Brown, I'm the granddaughter of your friend, Monty McFly. If you read this somehow, I... And he looks up from the laptop with a sort of a almost breaking the fourth wall, I've said, mm-hmm. top his mouth, slaps the, lap, uh, slaps the laptop down, shuffles out of the clock tower town hall with the computer back to the train. Um, with like Steenbergen <laughs> Steenberg and, and Jules and Byrne on the train. And then um, Doc immediately starts hectic pacing and sort of explaining, you know, what did I tell you? I knew we couldn't rely on the tech. Thank all the gods we left the laptop. But now there's nothing. And Steenbergen, she's got really... Steenbergen has that little cracky voice, doesn't she? Because she has it mm. specifically for Clara, doesn't she? And she's like, nothing, Emmett? You're not making any sense of that. And, mm. and Doc's like, there'll be nothing online. It happens. all happened after the web crashed. And Steenbergen's like, Emmett Brown, what happened? And, uh, he goes, it's Marty, I have to leave. This doesn't feel like the natural course of events. And she's like, Emmett, are you sure? And he goes, Marty would do the same for me. And then we reveal that Doc has been working on the DeLorean Mark Three, Same spec as Mark II, but great to have it back. Exactly. Like you want you know, like you should be loving that thing and you should be like, you know, we want to see it back. No one really wants to see it zip around too much on the trade, you know. It's got to be Doc in the DeLorean, isn't it? So, so anyway. Yeah. Um, and and you know, Steamberg's like, Emmett, you said you said it still needed to be tested, you know. Like, I love all the things you did with the DeLorean, by the way. But anyway, um and Doc gives it the full, never mind that now, never mind that now. You know, <laughs> the the, the, the Travelling itself is flawless, the best yet. You and the kids will be perfectly fine. In fact, the moment I leave, I will return all but instantaneously. And uh, he ruffles Jules Jr.'s hair, just in, just in time to help dinner. And Doc sets his course, reverses out of the train and Mark military flash, bang, and gone. Steenbergen then waits a beat for him to return almost instantaneously. And there's nothing. And I just put here a huge actorly lip wobble and bite. as one of the breasts. <laughs> asked, like fish fingers or something. And she just says, of course, honey. You know, but anyway. Yeah. Then we get another little title card. And it's 30 years earlier. Jessica McFly wakes up in hospital. And some cards and teddy bears and whatnot there. Um, and I've got here Caleb McLucken, Um I hope I'm saying his name right. Anyway, um, Lucas from Stranger Things. So two Stranger Things uh-huh. cameos here. Nice. Um, has a small cameo here. So he's um, he's the kid. He's my not Mike. Um, I forget the one who's going to play basketball anyway. But uh, but anyway, he's uh, he's he's sitting in a chair waiting for it to wake up. Um, he's the he's been he was the guard at the bank, the security guard who rushed to her side to stem the blood. And he's he sort of says that, you know, I'll let a doctor know and 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 your folks know that you're awake. I just wanted to make sure that you're okay, you know. And he's a bit clumsy and silly and not cool, but quite endearing, you know, in that little scene that he has. And um, but then you know, Jess says to him, Did my grandpa make it? And um Callum just shakes his head. And so we have a somber McFly house. Um, I put the same one as Back to the Future 2, that maybe um, we've still got Jen living in. not that's particularly iconic but let's just say it is and then Mm. um, i put jennifer assuming its shoe i couldn't get her back unfortunately yeah (laughs) And, and, and jess are talking in the kitchen both dressed in black ready for the funeral and jess is probing a bit saying you know that gun just didn't feel like just like an heirloom grandma grandpa used to be expecting this guy he said sorry grandpa seemed to be expecting this guy why would he know our name you know and she's asking lots of questions and um, jennifer just says that marty knew a lot of people honey your grandfather was a well-known well-respected man now, let's forget all this and obviously there's a big brood around the mcflies and so in the melee jess is able to sort of find her way into marty's study for a bit of a snoopy snoop and one of the drawers opens and um, reveals an envelope with exactly the use of well, the clock pick of marty and Doc in 1885 she shakes the rest of the context out perhaps a little scribbling of the flux capacitor clock tower flyer sketches of the delorean a redrawn scribble of doc's board drawing of alternative 1985 and 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 a slip of paper with a little at einstein 1985 address on it lots of references to a mysterious dr brown who seems to know her grandpa jess taps her wrist she's got some little like a fitbit type thing a hologram of a phone keyboard appears and she starts typing in the air um and you see the text. Dr. Brown, I'm the granddaughter of your friend Marty McFly. If you read this, etc. We then um are at Marty's cremation. Um I've got George and Lorraine gone as by this stage, but let's say we get Wendy, you got you probably mm-hmm. just over as well, and Mark McClure back as the brother and sister and mm-hmm. and plus whoever, whoever for cameoing here. Not Biff, though, crucially, but you know, but the brother, you know, everyone, lots of other people. Um, and then and i put <laughs> Appear. okay including michael j fox in old girl makeup to play his daughter <laughs> maybe <laughs> jess's mum who cares would prefer not to have the distraction but if rz insists is what i put <laughs> I'm really having to get out at this point of the picture um, <laughs> And then, a bit bleak, maybe we wouldn't quite show this, but as the curtains close on Marty's coffin, um, Jess looks to the back of the room and a figure in black with long white hair, Doc, slips out of the room. She follows him outside and says, Dr. Brown? And Doc says, we mustn't talk here, we mustn't talk here. Even sitting on that bench will prevent someone else from sitting on that bench and drastically order the course of the future. Here! She take, takes her around the back of the building. What? It, and Jess is like, what is this? What was? What was my grandpa involved in? doctor says marty my poor kid you have to tell me what happened precisely and so she does explain it to him and then doc says you know the assassin he mentioned a family tannin and then doc taps into some sort of device and tannin matches three names locally including Biff, who is still alive a hundred year old man style and in a local nursing home and um (laughs) I <laughs> have the usual sort of to and fro, I'm going with you from Jess, and then Doc's saying it's too dangerous, I work alone, et cetera, et cetera, but she manages to convince Doc to take her with him. They go to the home, they see Biff, he's watching, I don't know, an old school but new school TV in his room, and there's the, the equivalent of a twig crack moment I put, and uh, mm. Doc and Jess duck, they think they've eluded Biff, but Biff does actually catch the sight of Doc, and his eyes narrow in the car park meanwhile a rowdy hover car with a full futuristic subwoofer shenanigan going on very loud because <laughs> they arrives, and it's skiff with a crony who absolutely criminally i have not cast but actually has a couple of bits to do in a funny death coming up so i think <laughs> we'll have to be cast I, i'm taking names and suggestions on the on a postcard um, but anyway and um, jess sees the car pull up and says that's him that's the guy that killed grandpa and uh, doc says he hasn't done it yet and jess looks a bit confused and like you know is like what's going on? she hasn't really pulled it together this is the whole time travel thing going on and then skiff has come to drop off a six pack of pepsi free or equivalent nostalgic drink for his great great grandpa's, lamenting the price etc and as he's like you know lording it in his grandpa's uh, room um biff pulls Skiff in close all inaudible to doc and jess but perhaps um perhaps doc tries some kind of gadget to try and hear and it's out of range and Biff biscuit says to Skiff, back in the 80s i saw something and then we don't see uh sorry we do see this because skiff says when you high on coke back then pops he says, Listen mm. to listening kid i want you to and then very old biff whispers and we don't hear it very similar to i guess our old biff confronting 1955 Biff. But anyway, Skiff leaves the home and um, jumps back in with his mate. Before I forget to say it, sir, because it just occurred to me, like, I loved all your beats at the end, which mimicked the beats of Back to the Future with the lightning coming together. And they like, it was really, really happy. It made me happy. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Skiff is leaving the home, jumps back in with his mate, and Doc and Jess follow him to his house in the DeLorean and park up the street. Um, Skiff and his mate start carousing inside, inside Skiff's house. Jess and Doc again, high behind a bush. And Jess is like, let's quit all this snooping. I'm going to go and take a closer look. And um, Doc says, Jess, it's too dangerous. But she's already commando crawling across the lawn. And um, Skiff and his mates are visible through the window. She gets under the ledge, ducks down, takes a peek, and immediately realizes her mistake and says, shit, security gram!" And inside the lounge, there's a hologram platform to deter intruders that shows Skiff drinking a beer in a 10-second loop. It's the tech version of Michael Jordan on a train sitting home alone. <laughs> 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 she turns to see Doc Brown getting knocked out by the real Skiff at their bush hideout. Skiff's crony then puts an arm through the lounge window and holds Jess back as Skiff finds some form of activation key for the DeLorean in Doc's pocket. Skiff says to his crony, you come in," And the crony releases Jess. She runs over to Doc, who comes around just in time to see Skiff and the crony jump in the delorean shakily crash out into time travel with these two villains inside we get a mega moment from doc with a great scout what have i done and she's like doc and he goes quick quick doc runs over the lawn to the front window of the house and frantically jumps inside and frantically starts turning the lounge over looking for anything clues verbalizing as he does they need to find anything to identify where they might have gone and uh, jester says doc they, they just self-combusted those two are dead there's no 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 they're very much alive somewhere in time and she says you mean to tell me all those sketches in grandpa's desk all it's real the doctor says i'm afraid so but then there's a beat, and we've got to stop them and then he says but this is useless and he holds a cushion to his face and pulls back onto the sofa jester's still processing all this as a hover motorbike pulls up outside the rider is looking quite threatening, wearing a bit of a helmet and stuff, and starts approaching the house. The doctor tells Jess to get down. The guy on the bike um, says, "Emmet, I know you're in there. And the rider removes his helmet, and says David oh, yeah, well and um, takes off his gloves. He's calm and cool as a cucumber, and he says, outside the front door, I'm Dr. Benjamin Grantham. We met briefly after Einstein's Carnegie lecture in 1934 your theory in mc cubed e equals mc cubed well i need to tell you it was correct doc comes out from hiding and he goes i, I couldn't resist attending carnegie and dr grantham says me neither and there's a brief moment of pride from jock that he's managed to trump einstein <laughs> <laughs> uh, when are you from and uh dr grantham says 400 years from now in my line you and i've met on several occasions we're friends a bright future, which I hope will give you more confidence when I, bring, when I brief you on what needs to be done next, because it is not without risk, Dr. Brown. And um, anyway, Dr. Grantham is able to arm the two of them um, uh, with a belt, with a clip, which in the clip has got this little mini ball with a mini flux capacitor in it. And then on the belt is a nifty sort of same analog style as the original Betsy Future date setter. And I've basically assumed here... What we're talking about is transforming matter, Sheppy, And so it's a bit like a Star Trek beam me upper. If you're wearing the belt, you can transfer your own matter, you know, using Doc's technology right. with the mini flux capacitor. And, um, and Dr. Grantham explains, in the future, Skiff's misadventures are known in the scientific community. It's understood that Skiff was going to steal the time machine this night and is going to wreak some havoc on three specific occasions. But they you guys need to nudge them back one by one very similar to the Jules and then sort of you know thing. um anyway so first skiff is currently bumped into the old west on the setting similar to bet's future one how like doc's already keyed in a setting you know to the machine and skiff has bumped into doc's favorite setting on the uh, on the control um which is his wedding to clara um, and so, um, and and that's where Skip is right now. And so, um basically, Dr. Grantham is kind of like their spirit guide through this now, Shefy. I'm not one hundred percent sure about him as a character, uh, but we' we'll we'll, we'll we'll leave it there for a anyway um, <laughs> So I haven't really fleshed these bits out too much. So the idea is though that Doc and jess travel back to um let's just say eighteen eighty six for sake of argument that's when they got married. Um, mm. and then we have a little 20-minute adventure here i've got full cgi de-aging on lloyd um steen Bergen mm. and thomas f wilson which sees Jason nice. and jess thwart skiff from thwarting his wedding um uh-huh. skiff and crony still manage to take mad dog's gun and head off yeah. grantham at the uh-huh. end of this little adventure um finds jess and dog duck in the saloon and doesn't seem super phased by skiff stealing the gun but um, is happy that the wedding has not been thwarted and gives um, Jess and Doc the coordinates to their next adventure, the second adventure, which is going to be traveling back to Dinosaur Times. Um, again, with Skip and the crony there already, they, their objective for Doc and Jess is to put back a displaced dinosaur egg and... Um, but and there's a brief prehistoric, highly tense, sleeping dinosaur type adventure where you know they nearly managed to do it without waking up the dinosaur. But the dinosaur wakes up, skiff's crony is eaten, so he definitely needs <laughs> to pass. Um, and, uh, and then basically, a traumatized skiff legs it when the crony's eaten and back to the DeLorean and then plugs in a date for the future. Um, and Grantham, the Dr. Grantham, finds Doc and Jess again at the end of this dinosaur misadventure to congratulate them on the egg. Um, and Jess is getting a bit disgruntled, like, don't understand why well, we had to mend the lines and couldn't have just gone back and prevented Skiff from picking up the machine. Grantham's like, no, Skiff, scaling this DeLorean is a very necessary loop. And then Doc says, you're talking infinity loops. And Grantham says, yes, Dr. Brown, your work in this area is extraordinary. It's paved the way for huge discoveries and advances. And Doc says, but I'm barely halfway through the theory, halfway through the book. And Grantham says, let me show you both something. All three of them set a course on their belts for 2065. Um, the three arrive at the Clock Tower Town Hall uh, of Hill Valley, and they observe Doc Brown enter the town hall to retrieve his laptop. The security guard clears him and then says, excuse me to take his call. As Doc Brown, you know, the former Lee goes off to get his laptop, the hologram on the phone of the security guard pops up from his wrist and reveals Jess and a couple of kids on the video call. And this security guard is Lucas, the guy who um, patched her up at the bank and someone she obviously met, fell in love with, and had kids with in the future. And so what then uh, materializes from Grantham is the final mission is not to stop Skiff from killing your grandfather. It's simply to retrieve the machine after Skiff has been arrested. Marty dying in this way is part of the natural course of the loop that Skiff has created and um, grantham sets them for 2035 we have a bit of an emotional climax as doc and jess tail skiff tailing marty and the slightly younger jess and they have to let it be and we see marty die again in real time um, and then of course we get the line which sort of adds exit a little bit of pathos again you know jen and i set this up as a baby to help you make the start but this is just money time is the most valuable thing you'll ever spend um, they take the Delorean back. I haven't really gone off on one here about what that looks like, but while is in the bank, um, we have a slightly somber mood. Then with Jess, with Doc, like you know, now, now what do we do? I mean, there's two of me here, and Doc's just like you just need to lie low until the funeral, until you can catch up with yourself. And Grantham appears one last time here, and I've got it like he's very much in danger of being like a character from the Castle. The castle, sorry, do you remember Castle with them? Um, oh man, oh god, another world yes, exactly <laughs> Fillion. And, um, and every time, like, the police would be hanging around and they'd all finish each other's sentences <laughs> be like, you know, they'd walk in the room, you know and just finish a sentence, it'd be like, you know she was clearly <laughs> murdered, and then like you know, Fillion and walk in and be like with her coffee mug and the it <laughs> <All, like, laughs> would be so silly that they'd know what they were talking about before they walked in, but anyway, it doesn't matter <laughs> Grantham is that character a bit here but anyway, he appears one last time and then he says, you know Although it could have gone wrong for you, I was always confident you two would make it. But really, I wanted you both to see the damage that could be done with tearing some of these loops um, and, and hope you have the stomach for what needs to come next. And Doc just says, Benjamin, if you're talking about Marty in the cafe, 1955, that was just a theory like that. And he goes, I'm afraid, Emmett, I am talking about the cafe. Marty should never have entered it, it broke the loop. And so you, I've said this to you before, Shep, you have a many beers, but you know I have a, a theory on Back to the Future. One well, week.
1: this is it. Because <laughs> I, I was going to mention it at the beginning and I forgot, and I'm glad I forgot because this is going in deep. So I'm loving it. So <laughs> please continue with it. So for the listener,
0: Well, I just think that Back to the Future 1 exists as it is a representation of an infinity loop. And the idea being that um, Marty has to always take the tech back for Doc to finish the experiment, basically, is it. And so he's always gone back. It's just time isn't necessarily as linear as we think. There's never been a, a 1955 without Marty in it. He's always there even before he's been born. So, um, but the idea is that every time Marty normally does it, he just comes along, arrives in 55, effectively finds Doc and gives him the DeLorean and they still do all the lightning and the clock tower and that happens, but he never meets his dad in the cafe. And the one we see is the plot of 1985 where he meets his dad in the cafe and things start to wobble. And um, and he, he nearly prevents his own birth in the future. Um, and that's what starts to create the shake effectively of the whole thing and um, and yeah. and so this then is that marty created an alternative 1985 after he met his parents and look i love back to the future i love it <laughs> we've talked about that already but there is there i think there's a possible argument here where the end has got that slight sort of beauty in the beast vibe in a way which is that well, you know, beauty only when she gets the beast. Like he turns into a hottie. Do you know what I mean? Some handsome devil. Like you know, he's not mm-hmm. the beast that she fell in love with. And then, like you know, Marty's parents. Like he has to, he has to hit someone to become a better man, and then like you know, yeah. become more confident, all this sort of stuff. And then the, 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 the sort of they're playing tennis or whatever it is when they come back. You know, it's like yeah. oh, it's all a bit cheesy and it feels it could be interpreted as a fever dream but put a shippy horror one yeah you lynched it like you know so i think
1: like and his parents aren't who he knows as his parents <laughs> so they might be better people but they're not his parents they are like they're strangers <laughs> exactly. they're, they're playing tennis and having sex touching each <laughs> other's bums <laughs> eating strawberries
0: um, so yeah totally and i i i have got a slight problem with that so I feel like, although I'm just totally undoing a lot of the magic and love that we created, but what this does do is it means it's not such a bleak ending Um, with Marty, particularly, with what I've done here. So the idea here being, Marty created an alternative 1985 um, after he bumped into his parents, and that 1985 needs to be reset. And then, you know, um, Doc says, but if we do that, it's a billion to one chance that Jess will be born. And then Jess was sort of, uber steel just says if it's meant to be it's meant to be and if it can bring back my if it's got a chance of bringing back my grandfather we've got to do it and then of course we get them into um the delorean they've now stolen and we get a big barrel roll bum, 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 and then they do like a you know into the into the uh, where are they now into the past um, <laughs> jesus <laughs> um, and um and then we get like the to be continued but we roll into the trailer for back to the future yeah. part five that we have for three um, we nice. see. I've just given you a few beats and a few things that might happen here, shall But like, we see Jess meet an amazing CGI young Mike, Michael J. Fox Marty in the fifties, and marty's saying, "I'm your grandpa." And Jess is like, "This is heavy." And then, mm. uh, and then we get um Marty and Doc having quite an emotional moment of like. But if we do this, what consciousness will we have, Doc? And 50s Doc is saying to him, I don't know, Marty. And, uh, and he says, Doc, if we, we do this, we might not come back. And, uh, and then we have both the Docs, like you had a little bit before it turned sour. Doc and 50s Doc geeking out on tech and stuff. <laughs> we've got heaps. Heat. If, the, if the fans are unhappy with how we've left Marty here, they uh, should be salivating by the end of this trailer, is what I
1: hope.
0: Heaps of the Michael J. Fox. Um, you know, I put here, um, the whole wrinkle of this would be first actors, um, you know, uh, they, they set reset 1955 and they get Marty back to 1985 uh, without meeting his parents. Um, but, and they do all the same stuff with the cocktail and whatnot, but, um, but just somehow, ends up back with Marty in 1985. I thought perhaps maybe she's wearing a belt and the lightning triggering and she gets exposed and activates her belt by accident with her little flux capacitor. She's then stuck in original 1985 for a bit, um, but that then helps her sort of just nudge things and people become a bit cooler in their original 85 ness Do you know what I mean? So the yeah. ah, 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 George with too much slicker like, you know, <laughs> he gets a little bit cooler and she just nudges it. She helps and she helps Marty with his band or whatever. Maybe our man doesn't leave, you know. Whatever, and <laughs> he <becomes> <laughs> um and, and then um and we, we learn at some point from Franklin coming back, Dr. Franklin, that this loop actually was intended. Her going in and, and being stuck was intended but she has to get out by a certain time. So they've got a clock ticking. Um, and they assume they'll be able to use Doc's lab in 1985 somehow to, to conjure it up. But the Libyans take an uber revenge strike and blow it up or something. Um, and we have tension tension. But she manages to get the DeLorean and the plutonium somehow, I haven't really fleshed it out, goes into the future. Um, and, and at the point that she goes into the future, she doesn't know if she'll exist. We don't know if she'll exist but she does and better than that grandfather marty is alive again in this future um mm. and um and i, I, I haven't really up and the other one like this one is just one of countless infinity loops and I put them like polyps on the skin of time <laughs> mm, <laughs> nice, happened and, happened Very nice. And, time. and then we have um a little so that's happened and it's all nice and happy and then we have our coda. Um, which is then Steenbergen back in the train from Back to the Future 4 cooking dinner, assuming, you know, um, the doc has left but then hasn't returned instantaneously and um, and then leaves to to check again whether DeLorean's returned yet and it hasn't and another little Steenbergen lip wobble and then, um, put, I haven't really fleshed this out either but I see there's a bit of humour to be had in this scene where Steenbergen's front, you know, foreground having a lip wobble and then Doc does a bit of an indie after the tank in Last Crusade and kind of walks into the room wearing his belt, you know, and like starts eating some of the, the dinner with the kids, but like wondering what's upset Steenbergen before they re- reunite, you know. So just a little yeah, cheeky little Nice. And, um, yeah, that, that will be basically the end. The
1: lovely. The oh, joyous. <laughs> I'm so glad that Marty didn't stay dead. Um, yeah, me too. And just, yeah, that's that's great. Oh, yeah, lovely. Oh, i love it i love them both uh, I, again i can't wait can't wait for the re and um good stuff um yeah and you know when you said it may be too dark i don't think so you know doc dying in the first one which is pretty yeah, hard
0: it's hard isn't it
1: yeah yeah so no i think i think that's good and again it's all saved by the happy ending can i
0: say on I'm that as well, like i think doc never died like he always uh, knew, he, even the first one, like, you never not get up again, do you? Like So he'd always been told by Marty that was going to happen. Like, I think I thought it was something, you
1: know. Yeah. That can work.
0: Always I mean, there are
1: differences. Like, each time he comes back, there, it's like Groundhog Day in that, you know, Twin Pines and Lone Pine and all of that. Oh, and, of course, yeah. the parents and everything. There are, there are things... But that only adds to the infinity loop theory in that it is always the same but different, like little tiny things. Which again is a real dark tower Stephen King type thing. So I I like like it. I like it all.
0: I can't I really got into it when the world was falling apart for Marty and like the isolation of that and you can't call anyone is absolutely crippling that. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. FNB. Yeah, yeah, it's always it, um, on yeah. knows what he's up to. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, listen, that that was great. Very nice. All of that was lovely. Um, so yes, yes, good job <laughs> and happiness.
0: All right. Well, there's what a final be... order of business, isn't there? Final
1: mm-hmm. order of business.
0: Um and this, I'm excited yeah well I was going to do something else and then I asked G yesterday what should I do, what should I do and she actually came up with this and she doesn't even like Ooh. this movie so I don't know why she suggested it but as soon as she suggested it I said that's bloody brilliant I'm totally doing that
1: oh, oh, oh.
0: It's another this 80s. is the
1: moment I like
0: I'm pretty sure it's 80s I, I'm, I don't even need to Google I'm almost <laughs> positive um, so three of me guys, Shepi
1: Oh
0: wow. I would I would another three rigos maybe really please.
1: Oh that's well well there but you go. Yeah. Again yeah. and, like, have some 86, I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Um we, we're going for another Landis, I'm 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 all for it. He's not gonna beat Zebekis's four, but he's he's gonna he's gonna notch one up. That's <laughs> wonderful. Very exciting, Jimmy. Very exciting. I yeah. love it. Happy. Which means how on earth. Do we, uh, till we finish this body for today, my son?
0: I don't know, Sheppy. We, this is probably our longest yet, I think. And um, you know, we, we are definitely, definitely gonna have to back it up because I think we are definitely gonna run out of roads, Sheppy.
1: Roads where we're going, we don't need roads.